Alright, welcome to the My Age Podcast, a podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life using music to plot a map from their early years to how they got to where they are now. Uh, episode 23, guest is Sam Sutherland, who is, uh, amongst other things, half of the Blink-155 podcast duo. Uh, the other half being Josiah Hughes, who I spoke to in episode 17, so, you know, once you finish this one, go back and check it out. Um... I'll try to keep the preamble as quick as I can because this episode is a whopper and even though it was recorded at about 3.30am uh, on a Monday morning, I had a righteous time doing it um, and I hope you have a righteous time listening to it. Uh, Sam's got a whole bunch of creative endeavours that you can check out on his website uh, and I'll post links in the notes and all the social medias and whatnot. so you know, that's exciting. So Sam's actually given me the okay to play a Junior Battle song, which uh, is his current band. And I think if you hear the song, I think it's a good way to start the episode because it gives a lot of context to what's discussed in the actual episode. Um, So anyhow, buckle down, get comfortable, enjoy the episode. Uh, If you enjoy what you heard and think this episode is worth a dollar, go to paypal.me slash myagepodcast and send me a dollar. Always appreciated, never expected. Anyhow, on with the show. Sam Sutherland, My Age Podcast. Jeez.
So on today's episode, we've got, um, well, let's rattle off his credentials first before I, I mean, you would have seen the name on the little podcast app thing. Um, YouTube personality with his channel, This Exists, uh, author with his book, Perfect Youth, about the first wave of Canadian punk and hardcore, MTV Canada and Juno's awards hosts, uh, musician with his band Junior Battles, and lastly, but definitely not leastly, half of the dynamic duo that makes up the Blink-155 podcast, Sam Sam Sutherland, what's going on? Just having a beautiful day out on my deck here in sunny Toronto, making you talk to me in like the middle of the night in in not Wodonga. Not I Wodonga. Guess. The the other town in Australia that isn't Wodonga. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. I know two places. Sydney because it's famous and Wodonga yep. because it's pod famous. It's, it's pod famous, it's nation famous. So it's like to in all honesty, it is three thirty nine in the AM on Monday. Jesus Monday. Christ. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you should not have let me do this. I'm no, ruining no, no, no. your life. Life. No, not at all. It's it's like you know, it's one of those things where when you're so like you get to the point where you're so tired that that's when the creativity comes out. That's when the gold right. happens. <laughs> like gold doesn't happen at 10 a.m. No, that's true. I've never thought anything worthwhile at 10 a.m. But like, yeah. how do you explain this? Like, you have a, you have a family, right? Yes, yes. So, <laughs> so she just shook her head. She, my wife just shook her head at like, me. Like, I'm gonna stay up till five in the morning, probably. Yeah. Uh, having conversation with a Canadian Blink-182 podcast Podcaster. host. Yep. No, she's, How? um, she oh. just, I mentioned it and she just kind of shook her head and went, all right, you've got to do what you got to do. There you go, man. She and loves you. Are. That's, that's, that's actually quite beautiful. How long have yeah. you been married for? Um, married nearly six years, but been together for 16 years. Okay, so this is not like the first time that she's seen you stay up till four in the morning to probably talk to a weirdo halfway around the world, right? She's she's seen me do some dumb shit in my time. <laughs> yeah, and she's put up with it. So this is like on a on a scale of like dumb shit things. This doesn't really rate that high. Right. <laughs> okay. So, good. Well, I'm yeah. uh, you know I'm glad to not be the biggest mistake of your marriage. Good. Yes. Yeah. It's um. Yeah. I'll tell you. Like, one day I'll tell you about the um the. The, the thing that she always holds against me, but we'll get into that another Ooh, time. Ooh, that's exciting. Yeah. A little you bit know of what? a... I'll tell you now. I'll tell you right now. This is, a, <laughs> this, is, this is a really dumb story. So, like... Yes, please do. How long it would have been when we first kind of started dating, so like mid-2000... Sorry. Started dating in 2002, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and about 2004, when I was living the life, like the... not the Obviously not the bachelor life, but, you know, no, minimal responsibilities, working a job, minimal overheads, blah, blah, blah. Went on a in tandem a massive Tenacious D like I'm a huge Tenacious D fan hell yeah not, not ironically just like and I've got my reasons for that whatever no um, dude I think Tenacious D is a, is a great band like I'm, yeah. I'm with you okay so my, my thing on Tenacious D is they're like I fell in love with them because like whether or not you like Jack Black's like people like Jack Black's whatever but as a bigger guy I look at them 
like owning their bigness, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. That makes and a ton so, of sense. Yeah, so like, um, I was like, oh, I can get down with this. This is this is my people. Anyhow, so I went down this dumb. Used to go down dumb eBay rabbit holes. <clears throat> pardon me, and would search for tenacious dealer time. Found a guy in the US who was selling this T-shirt. Um, no, sorry, selling what was it, the description was like lobster fart, blah 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 blah, something something tenacious d just to kind of you know get those get those hits get those um right real seo optimization absolutely like absolutely so the description was like he was from one of the coasts i can't remember east coast west of the u.s i can't remember but had this lobster and like had like ate this lobster for dinner it was like singing its praises and saying how buttery and da 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 and all this amazing stuff was and said like if you live in the middle of the country, you'll never get a lobster this fresh. It's impossible. It won't get to you quick enough. So what this guy did was he's like, I ate the lobster. It was fantastic. I enjoyed every second of it. And then I farted and captured the fart so you can smell the fart of how, of my lobster. And I was like, this is the most amazing eBay link I've ever seen. I have to bid on it. <laughs> Just for the pure comedy factor, I have to bid on it. Yeah. And so like, it was like 10 bucks, you beauty, bang. And like forgot about it. Like a week later, get an email. Congratulations, you've won the lobster fart. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, I guess I've won a lobster fart. And so the guy sends me an invoice, and I was like, oh no, this is really happening. And then like, so I paid some absorbent amount for freight to get this lobster fart. And um, it turned up, and my wife opened the package, and she's just like, like it was a little jar, like a jam jar kind of thing that had a note written on it that just said like in black texter lobster fart and she's just looking at me going you've got a real problem (laughs) you've got to to stop this shit so so after all that you know getting up at getting up at 3am to do a podcast she's just like whatever just as long as you're not buying lobster farts on ebay so that's true you you've set the bar so high for uh truly unnecessary and ridiculous and yet disappointing behavior i think that's fantastic so anything wow. else just kind of flies under the radar now. So do yeah. you still have the fart? No, it got lost. It got lost in oh. moves, like moving houses, many a time. So which I regret. So. <laughs> yeah, especially you know, they sent me a T-shirt. You paid well. so they, much for it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I, like I, I just wanted to send them the money and like not get the present, like not get the not get the fart. But um, they no, they weren't having that. They were like, no, you have to have this. Like, this is this is. What well, it that's is. it. It's a it's a business transaction, right? They don't yeah. want to be sort of. Uh, they're not joking. They were selling no, a real thing. They were not so, fucking around at all. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. So anyhow, enough about me. Let's talk about you. Yeah, man. Let's um, talk about me. I'm living under the shadow of a helicopter right now. Actually, I can I don't hear know if you that. Can hear that's that. okay. Yeah. Like, the, the, the the fans love the ambiance. Well, so, yeah, uh, like, I, I'm really sort of, like, uh, I'm taking, I'm take, if anyone listening to this listens to Blink-155 and loves the sound of, like, the trucks passing my house or, like, you know, my wife making uh, making herself, like, a snack, uh, I've actually moved outside because it's just such a beautiful day, and so I'm sitting on my deck, which means you're getting, like, a fully immersive sonic experience. You close um, your eyes, you're in Toronto. That's it. Like I can see, I can I can see the CN Tower, like from where I'm sitting right now. So a, a flock of pigeons just flew by, which is disgusting. Uh, there's helicopters overhead. Um, you know, just another day in paradise. Good. That's the way to do it. That's awesome. hell yeah. All right. So we'd like let's start from the beginning, I guess. Obviously, um, 
Where'd you grow up? What did your parents do? All that kind of jazz. Right. So I grew up in Etobicoke, which is a suburb of Toronto. Um, my parents owned their own business, so they uh, they had a couple of stores selling like pantyhose and socks, like hosiery, um, down in in the sort of business financial area in Toronto. There's this entire like underground city in Toronto called the path and it connects all of the uh, sort of major office towers that that are sort of in the central downtown area. And it's this like tremendously confusing, poorly designed way of allowing people to sort of, you know, traverse during the winter when it is quite frigid here. And is that, uh, is that what its original purpose was? Yeah, it just it connects it connects all of these these sort of primary office buildings and the and the banks and shit. Uh, and so the entire system is just like a shitty mall where there are no kind of brand name stores. It's all like you know Chris's Electronics. Like it's it's. Uh, okay. And then there's a couple of food courts. And so my parents had hosiery stores in the path in Toronto. Um, and uh, yeah, um, that, that's that's sort of that's me, I guess. So, any brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have a younger sister whose name is Suzanne, who is uh, a, a much more of a proper kind of true punk than me. You know, we always joke that, like, I got into punk through through Blink, obviously. There's a reason why, you know, I, I now have a podcast dedicated, dedicated. to yep. ruining my life by dissecting every single one of their songs. So... That was my gateway, but I mean, eventually I got into like you know real shit, and I was like super into Minor Threat and all the Discord bands, and yeah. So I, I kind of got my sister into that. She's two years younger than me, and then she just became like so much more punk than me. Um, so I've like I've like always dressed the same. I still just wear like jeans and black t-shirts. Like that's yep. nothing has changed for me in in yeah. twenty years or whatever. Uh, but she, like, when we were in high school, like, had just, like, the craziest hair and dressed like a total freak, and it was awesome. Um, and uh, and even still, like, you know, I've kind of grown up and sold out, and I work for a major record label, and I'm, like, a total hack. And she is a, a young adult author. She writes, like, great books and, like, focusing on, like, LGBTQ themes and stuff, just, like making like really good stuff she she's an editor at a major publisher and does children's books there and just generally is like a good person putting good stuff out into the world and yeah, i just like productively exactly and i just make like useless trash for other um privileged assholes such as myself yep. uh so yeah so she's so that's my my one sister um awesome. yeah I, that's the sort of the hits i've lived in toronto my whole life i love the city uh and I always fantasize about moving somewhere else, but I never could because everything good is here. It's, yeah, it's, you've got what you need. So were your mm. parents musical? No, not at all. So uh, I started, like, really, I guess, I mean, everyone kind of, like, loves loves music, but, I mean, I remember, like, being... In, in particular, like, in the seventh grade was when I, like, started loving music that was sort of, like, my own, but I'd always, like... Yep been into stuff and that was when I like started wanting to learn how to like play music and you know really wanted to play drums and wanted to learn how to play guitar and you know my sister also then got into like playing drums and you know we had drums at our house we had amps at our house and we were like the house where all the band practices happened and that was like a hundred percent our entire lives we, we were both fortunate enough to go to a really great uh, school in Etobicoke for like grade six, seven, eight, uh, yeah. which is middle school here in Ontario. 
and it had like a tremendous music program and so we benefited from that and our parents always joked like my mom plays piano um, but like very kind of casually uh, but was never like I think embraced her her talent probably enough, and yeah, my dad sense. like literally can't clap to a beat. Like watching <laughs> him, I've seen him dance like twice in his life at at weddings, and he just sort of like moves like it's all extremely fluid because I don't think he can hear beats yeah. like at all. And so it was a a, a kind of tremendous mystery to him how both my sister and I ended up being, like, super musical. And again, my mom, like, my mom could play piano. Um, you know, she, she's, like, super, super talented. But she also, like, she was never, like, writing music or whatever. And that was something that both my sister and I got really into. And, uh, you know, I think they, they both sort of found it um, not confusing, but just sort of interesting that, like, in particular, my dad, like, can't... He's completely tone-deaf... Um, and, and so it was sort of a, a miracle where we had sort of come from, given their kind of lack of musicality. And then, like, my mom loves music. And I think by having my sister and I kind of get so into music, it's really sort of helped her kind of embrace it. Like, she loves musicals, and, and, and that was always sort of a part of her life. But they were never, like, a big record collection uh, yeah. couple. Um, so I inherited some really good records, but a lot of it's like, you know, uh, it's, it's like the greatest hits compilations, you know, as opposed yeah. to, like, complete discographies. They didn't go uh, too deep with it. No, but... Um, uh, but they definitely like exposed us to like yeah like musicals and stuff when we were younger, which was like I think a real important uh, gateway. Yeah. So, yeah. See, so was there much music going on in the house, or it just wasn't really like it wasn't much of a thing? As in like like listening to music, was there much of that or? Yeah, like so we definitely had like I mean I, I, can I jump into sort of my first song here? Yeah, yeah, or, please do. Okay, sick. So, like, the, the first song that I, I wanted to kind of talk about under the parents section is uh, from South Pacific, There Is Nothing Like a Dame. Okay. Um, which is, like, South Pacific is this 50s musical. It rules. Uh, you know, it's about sailors. Uh, you know, my... my grandfather was obviously like everyone's grandfather in the army and um you know was an engineer a mining engineer and so my family moved around a lot and so I think the army stuff kind of resonated a little bit with my mom and uh so we grew up like this was like music in my house was like musical soundtracks when I was a kid and uh it's it's a thing that I think like has always sort of subsequently informed my tastes because like I think the first you know, I remember going to see Starlight Express in Toronto, like downtown Toronto. It was like my first time going downtown. It was like, you know, me and my mom going out, and it was just like the coolest, most incredible experience of my entire life. And going to see Phantom, which was like up in Toronto forever. And for a while, like it had like a permanent um, theater here. And uh, Paul Stanley from Kiss played the Phantom for a couple of years in the 90s, which is sick. And I never saw wow. it. And I would, would not have appreciated it at the time, but. Um, yeah, so, like, the, there was definitely, like, you know, like, when we'd, like, sit around, like, every night, and, like, I'd build Legos, and, like, my parents would read or whatever, like, in the family room, it was, there was always music on, and it was always, like, a musical soundtrack. It would be Cats, or it would be uh, Phantom, or it would be Starlight Express, or a lot of Andrew Lloyd Webber in the house. And so, South Pacific, though, is one that I know that, like, 
you know, even kind of before we were around, this was something that I know, like, my mom was, like, listening to and loving. Uh, and then, like, in later years became a thing that she was kind of able to to share with us. But I think this was, like, the music that really resonated with her. And this yeah. is just, like, real classic, like, 50s musical shit. It's so good. Was she into any of the other Roger and Hammerstein, like, works, like, um, musicals? Yeah, totally. Like, she was, like, she was into all of these things. And then I think for kids, like, the Andrew Lloyd Webber stuff is kind of more accessible, you know? Yeah. Um, Like, it's, like, just, like, straight-out pop music. Whereas, like, all the, like, eventually she was able to sort of, uh, I think, turn us on to the, like, kind of classic, classic musicals. And, you know, we were able to appreciate them. But on some level, it's, like, you know, Starlet Express is, like, techno and trains and so pacific feels like really dated when you're six i guess yeah yeah but yeah these were all like the things that she like loves and still loves it's like one of those things where like when these things like come on television or like you know you start talking about them like you can see it's like this is the the music that she is like nostalgic for um and i think it like had a really uh yeah like a huge impact on on me like i ended up writing a musical version of jaws when i was in university that we toured it, it played off off broadway in new york we did it uh in toronto a couple of times we did it in winnipeg um and that was like part of how i like paid for the last couple of years of like living and going to school um when i was in college so like that was and that's why i like love harmony and that's why I like junior battles um which is my band is is like very poppy and full of like you know vocal interplay because that all comes from these musicals which all comes from like the, this being the music that my mom listened to um you know when we were when we were young and like when she was young too that totally makes sense like i like again like after listening to junior battles for the last few months like i never i would have never put the pieces together but after you've said that's like well where else would it come come from yeah, totally. And then, like, you know, the other guitar player and singer in Junior Battles, my friend Aaron, he has the same thing. Like, he grew up, he loves musicals. Like, you know, he loves Little Shop and um, played uh, Seymour in his, like, high school production of Little Shop. And so he was in the Jaws musical um, from when we were in college, and that's, like, where he and I kind of learned to, like, sing together and harmonize and do, like, you know, like, kind of, dumb super big sounding interplay like in my mind that's like what we're trying to do is like achieve the heights of all these um all these musicals but like this was a 100 like the music in my house forever we got sunlight on the sand we got moonlight on the sea we got mangoes and bananas you can pick right off the tree we got volleyball and ping pong and a lot of dandy games what ain't we got? We ain't got games. We get packages from home. We get movies, we get shows. We get speeches from our skipper. And advice from Tokyo Rose. We get letters doused with perfume. We get dizzy from the smell. What don't we get? You know damn well. We have nothing to put on a clean white suit for. What we need is what there ain't no substitute for. There is nothing like a day, nothing in the world. There is nothing you can name that is anything like a day. We'd be 
restless, we feel blue. We feel lonely and in grief. We feel every kind of feeling but the feeling of relief. We feel hungry as the wolf felt when he met Red Riding Hood. What don't we feel? We don't feel good. Lots of things in life are beautiful, but brother, there is one particular thing that is nothing whatsoever in any way, shape, or form like any other. There is nothing like a day, nothing in the world. There is nothing you can name that is anything like a day. Nothing else is built the same, nothing in the world. As a soft and wavy frame, like the Suppose a day may bright or completely free from flaws Or as faithful as a bird dog or as kind as Santa Claus It's a waste of time to worry over things that they have not Be thankful for the things they got like a dame and nothing looks like a dame there are no drinks like a dame and nothing thinks like a dame nothing acts like a dame or attracts like a dame there ain't a thing that's wrong with any man here that can't be cured by putting him here a girl So did you, were you, when you were growing up and listening to this, like, was there, were you watching the movies as well or was it just soundtrack based and you kind of were only getting half the, pardon the pun, picture? <laughs> yeah, I, I only remember, like, listening to the soundtracks. Like, I remember definitely, like, my mom's trying to get me to watch The King and I, like, another Rodgers and Hammerstein yeah. Uh, joint and like I didn't give a shit about it. I, I still like, I, I, yeah, it, something about it just didn't resonate for me. Um, sound of Music, same thing. Didn't I never liked the Sound of Music? Okay, even to this day. Yeah, it, it's it's like five hours long. It's it's a long movie. Yeah, it's so fucking long and. Like I, 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 some of my nearest and dearest friends love the sound of music, but it just like does not do it for me at all. Although I did see like a really good production of it once in Stratford, which is like a sort of small, uh, small town in Ontario. It's like maybe an hour and a half outside of Toronto, and but uh, they have a big Shakespeare festival there. That's sort of the the roots of it anywhere that it's a Shakespeare festival. They do all kinds of other plays. Yeah, it's where it's where Justin Bieber is from, and. Uh, okay. They did a production of The Sound of Music that I, I went to for school or something. And they, like, when the Nazis, like, first come in, they literally, like, unfurl these massive, not, like, swastika banners in the theater. And it's Ooh. such a, like, arresting moment that reminds you of the actual, like, sort of stakes and severity of 
a musical that I otherwise like don't take seriously. Um, so that was like a, it was a good production of it, but I just, I, you know, just don't give a shit. But yeah, it was mostly, it was mostly like the soundtracks. It would be like the vinyl and then it was like the tapes and that was just sort of in our house. And so it, it certainly would be a thing where we would have heard something a million times. And then like w- when it came to Toronto, uh, and this was again something that we were sort of very fortunate to be able to experience. Like, you know, our parents would take us to see it. So when, you know, uh, when I, Starlight Express has just been in my head because I was listening to the soundtrack like a week ago with another friend of mine, and it's yeah. that's a, that, that one does not hold up at all. But like, I remember listening to it so much, and like, li- or listening to like Phantom like so much over and over and over, and then finally seeing it. And it is, I mean, I think you put it very aptly. Like those pieces just sort of like come together, and yeah. it's uh, it's 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 when you're a kid, it's like mind blowing because you're just missing half of it. It's, to me, like, you mentioned The King and I before. Like, I always thought that was a, like, as a young, as a younger person, if you were, like, it's, that is really, like, because it is, I guess it's a period piece of sorts. Like, it is really dated. Whereas something like, yeah. like you know, I mean, obviously you can look at South Pacific and go, well, people still kind of look like that. Like, and West Side Story, people obviously, like, gangs don't look like that, but that, that story is eternal. Totally, the, yeah. Yeah. The King and I is definitely harder to click with. Yeah, I mean, I definitely remember, like, we definitely watched West Side Story, and, yeah, like, West Side Story rules. And it's so funny, like, there's that great, like, um, SNL bit with Norm MacDonald where he's the leader of a gang, and the other gang comes up, and he's like, tells his guys, he's like, scram, and then when I tell you, come out. And so the other gang is, like, a real, like, actual, like, New York gang. Yep. And then, like, Norm MacDonald keeps, like, signaling for his guys to come out, and they all, like, sort of come out, like, you know, sharks or jets, just, like, dancing their way out. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? This is insane. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, like, I think, I think, I think you kind of nailed it. It's like there's, like, r- sort of relatable modern elements, maybe, that, that yeah. in those other films and, and in their, in their kind of uh, uh, scores that is lacking, maybe, from The King and I. Yeah, very what's, much so. What's your clearly you are ahead as well. What's your favorite musical? Like off the top of my head, it'd be West Side Story. Yeah, it's um, so good. Yeah, like I remember seeing a cousin, two sorry, two cousins were like performed it in like an amateur theater group, and we were, we'd always go see them. Like whenever they'd be in a musical, we'd always go check it out. Um, but I remember watching that one and going. I oh, know this is this is really good. Like, and you know, even watching the movies, um, there's bits of it that are slow, and there's bits of it you pick up as an adult that are completely different to what you used to take in as a kid. And like, I think that especially with um, with the sound of music, like you used to watch as a kid and not understand the concept of like never understood that. Like, I knew there were bad guys, but I didn't understand right. like, how bad. <laughs> yeah, how bad. I just thought. They were just like the army guys, and, or the, like the bad cops, or something. And then it wasn't until this is this is a really bad this is a really bad reference. But it wasn't until um, the Family Guy did like a. Uh, I don't think <laughs> yeah. I don't think you're a fan of the Family Guy. Or, I am not. A, no. Yeah, but um, there was a Family Guy's like little little I don't know know what they call it, like a takeaway or something where um. Peter Griffin yells out like something about Nazis, like you know, you're dating a Nazi or something, or like makes some reference to it. And then I went back and watched it and went, oh yeah, but like, these aren't just bad cops; these are like really bad people. And like you're taking this whole other level of um, what's going on with the, with the actual storyline. And yeah, but no, um, West Side Story. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so it's so good. Yeah. Like the songs are great and the stakes feel high and even though it's like singing and dancing gangs it's still like I feel like oh, it the, works. Yeah, but I don't no, know. Absolutely. Yeah. They were tough as so yeah. Yeah, maybe if I was like actually in a Puerto Rican, you know, New York street gang I wouldn't feel that way, but from the comfort of my deck in Toronto and my yep. sort of uh well-heeled Etobicoke upbringing, I'm like, yep. no, this is good. This, no, this is, is uh this is a quality year. representation of yeah. the life, the life. This is how they did it in the 50s. Exactly, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, see, so, like, well, well, obviously this... So one thing I've been, without blowing smoke up your ass, one thing I'm really, like, that I've taken a lot from the podca- from the 155 podcast is that you're really, really versed in music, like, in all different genres and that kind of thing. So, like, this next part of the... I guess the next part of the conversation, like, being your first kind of... Th- thing that you made you realize about like open your ears to music i feel like it happened to you like it must have happened to you really young to get like to get the scope and depth of what you're actually into like or know about nowadays but like was there something that made you go like see music with whatever kind of style it was and just go oh this is a like this is something made not for commercial gain this is just something made for for the pure art of it does that make sense yeah, no, I totally get it. I mean, I think I think that realization honestly took me a really long time. Like I, I was I, I actually feel like I was very slow to come to kind of non commercial music. Like and and then, you know, like everyone I sort of like swerved deeply into being like incredibly kind of pretentious about things. But yeah. like you know, t- for this section, it, like I, I wanted to actually have like a cooler answer, but the idea of like what what actually was the first tape that I bought with my own money, and it was the self-titled second Collective Soul album, which is like a terrible. Well, I mean, it's like a great fucking '90s alt rock record, but it's like terribly uncool and incredibly commercial and like uh, a copy of a copy of a copy of something that was like actually good and happening in rock music at that time. Yeah. Yeah. But like I made my dad drive me to the Cloverdale mall, which was the like second best mall in Etobicoke. Shout out Sherway Gardens, like the true jewel of, uh, of the suburb. But Cloverdale was like one sort of strip. And it had a really terrible record store in it called Tracks, which I only realized was a um, Pretty in Pink reference like two years ago or something. Okay. Uh, but it had a record store, and I like made my dad drive me there so I could buy this Collective Soul tape with my own money, and that and that 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 was like the first thing that I bought, and then everything after that is like, you know, I was trying to figure out if there were other tapes before that, but like. That year for Christmas, I remember I had uh, my parents gave me a tape of uh, Ace of Base, The Sign, like or yes. whatever that album is. And then yeah. me- also Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Like those were like the two things that I asked for and got. And I loved them both equally. Hey, <laughs> was the Ace of Base would have been like that would have been out for a few years when Melancholy came out, wouldn't it? I don't know. You know what? To be honest, I only looked up Melancholy, and now I'm going to look up when that Ace of Base album tape came out. Because I think Melancholy is 1995, 
and I would have said Ace of Base was like 1991. It was yeah, it was 93 actually. So I was wow. in, I was oh, late to that, but. Okay. Uh, I guess maybe the singles, like, were rolled out slowly. Either way, like, that was, like, a year for me where I got, like, both of those tapes. Yeah. Oh, oh, no, here it is. Uh, The album was nominated for Best Pop Album at the 1995 Grammys. So I think it was released uh, outside of... It was released as Happy Nation in 1993, and then I think maybe re-released under the sign in 1995. It's a very confusing Wikipedia page. People have not put enough time into this. I guess is it is one of the guys from Ace of Base like a Nazi or something? Is that a thing? About, I was about to say that to you. Have you so have you got, you haven't gone down that rabbit hole yet? I, I like it's one of those things that people are like, yo, the guy's a Nazi, and I'm like, ooh, not not a great look, uh, so, and I haven't thought much more about it. I've got an interesting, in my opinion, it's interesting and funny. Um, a friend I went to high school with who I sat next to in roll call. Um, in what? Was, sorry, in what? In what, Okay, what we call roll call. So What is that? Um, fuck, how do you explain it? Like, like a tent, like, um, so when you go to high school, every morning we'd all sit, like the whole school would sit down in, um, in like the, the quad, the quadrangle. The quad and everyone, like if there were any announcements, the teachers would get up and say, I mean, because again, don't forget, this is a country that, well, this is an area that we don't get snow. We, some kind, we, you know, we get rain, but otherwise it's a pretty, it's a pretty fantastic um, weather. Like it's pretty fantastic weather. So like it's for almost every day of the year, you could sit outside for at least 10 minutes and kind of take take in the sun and all that kind of jazz. So they'd get us all together. They'd put everyone to go in their class, like in their grades would sit together and then, You'd, be, you'd all be in alphabetical order. So, like, um, I'm sure there's a better way of explaining this, but, the, yeah, they just mark everyone off for attendance. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I get it. It sounds, it sounds amazing. Well, like, How do you guys do it? We just, uh, like, ha- I mean, I, I, we just always had, like, homeroom, uh, okay. I guess, when, when you're in an era when you have, like, multiple classes. Otherwise, you would just go to, like, you just had a teacher. Like, in, in younger grades, it was, like, you would maybe leave for, like, gym class and French class. But otherwise, like, you had your homeroom teacher, and that was just, like, how you spent most of the day was in that classroom. And they kind of taught you everything. And yeah, then there no, was no. a th- there would be, like, announcements over the PA system. But, yep. like... Our school year basically goes through like fall, winter, spring, and so you know fall and spring could be nice, but the winter fucking sucks, and so yeah, like you just yeah. need to get the fuck inside as fast as possible. Yeah, so we we for the most part, unless it was raining, and we then we then go to our designated homerooms, but unless it was raining, we'd sit down on this like on the quadrangle, and there'd be like a yeah the principal would get up and say whatever he had to and make any announcements that they had to make. And so, like, and teachers would walk around with a with an attendance sheet, and they'd each teacher would have, say, thirty people's names just to check off, just to make sure everyone's there. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, anyhow, this is a really long way to get this ace of base story. Um, <laughs> so, my friend like would put like on Instagram would post like the, whatever he's listening to, like whatever he dug up from a crate from like when he was in high school or whatever, and recently posted. A picture of well, recently as in the last year or so, posted a picture of. It was either the sign or. I'm trying to th- all that she wants, which is another single that they had. Right. Yeah, uh, I remember. Ace of Base had. Yeah. So he posted like, you know, found this, listen to it now, and tagged like didn't at Ace of Base, but like tagged Ace of Base, like hashtag Ace of Base, 
And I just, I'd read the Vice article on one of the guys being in, in a, like, a neo-Nazi band back in the day or whatever. And so I just wrote, like, did you know one of those guys was a Nazi? And just left it, just like, you know, off it goes into the into the um, Instagram ether. And then, like, started getting these, like, messages on my phone. Like, not messages, but, like, getting tagged on, on my phone from some, some name I couldn't pronounce going like you know you should do your homework da 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 and I was looking at this thing going who the fuck is this it was a singer of the ace of bass the female singer of ace of bass had found like had read the comment from the hashtag and then started having a dig at me because like I hadn't done my homework and I accused them of being a Nazi and I was just like wow like this is this is a really sore spot but like he was one of the guys wasn't like a like pro pro Nazi band it's yeah, you know, has, has has since renounced it, but yeah, it's it's an odd one. Yeah, I mean, it's that's a, a really fucked up route to get from that to like all that she wants, but yeah, and but I love that shit. And that's like such a go to right wing talking point where it's like if you actually did your research, you'd realize I'm not a Nazi. I'm like an ethno nationalist, and you're like, yeah, what the fuck are you? There's this woman who's running for mayor in Toronto. We're, like, in the middle of this, like, massive kind of political upheaval in the province and in the city right now, and it's a fucking mess. And okay. so this this Nazi, neo-Nazi-supporting uh, commentator, Faith Goldie, who um, worked for the Rebel, which is, like, a, a, a super right-wing, alt-right kind of platform uh, run out of Canada by this guy, Ezra Levant, and... Um, yeah, she's but she's like she's not a she she says she's not a neo-Nazi. She was literally fired from this like incredibly alt-right bigoted racist website slash like YouTube channel, The Rebel, for appearing on a neo-Nazi podcast. Like it's obvious that that's where her sympathies are. And then she bills wow. herself as like a you know literally it's like a pro-Catholic ethno-nationalist um, you know buildings roman and you're like what the fuck are you like just say it like just don't use all these other words and so I'm sure that guy's the same thing like, if you do your research you'll realize we were just like a you know hardline you know pro what and you're like what the you're a fucking neo-Nazi yeah. man just like fuck yeah. off guy yep. just, like, just accept it, like, it and apologize say like yeah I was and I was dumb and I was 15 and I got snookered into this shit because I was impressionable and I was mad and I needed someone to be mad at like yep. people can people can change people can evolve there are reformed skinheads I mean like white power skinheads um, you know those people exist in the world and they can be examples to other people um, who are who get mired in that shit especially when you're young but yeah, yeah, that's so that's good. I'm glad you had a tangle with the Ace of Base guy. Yeah, it was it was fun. It's you know, I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. See, so that was a that was a pretty heavy and deep conversation part of the conversation. Let's talk yeah. about the music. Let's talk about Collective Soul. Yeah, so good. But but that's it, man. It's like that was the tape. It was like I wanted to hear gel, I wanted to hear the world I know. And that was like the first thing I bought. And then, you know, subsequent to that, there was a lot of like Canadian stuff that I started getting into and there was like a moment in uh, Canadian music which we actually covered sort of recently on the pod when we had um, uh, Mark Teo on who wrote this amazing book called Shine all about this really important Canadian compilation called Big Shiny Tunes and so uh, we have like this thing called CanCon in Canada so you have 66% or sorry 33% I guess of what gets played on the radio has to be Canadian yep. and uh 
when that sort of came in, it just sort of completely changed the landscape of Canadian culture. And so in particular in the 90s, we had this like, thriving alt-rock scene, and there were these bands like Our Lady Peace and Matthew Goodband and Sloan and, and all the stuff that like Mark writes about in his book. You know, I'm Mother Earth and the Killjoys and those were like the bands that I got really into and that was super exciting because those bands were like from here and, yeah. and it was like neat to be like oh there are bands that are from Toronto bands that are from Vancouver and not everyone's from New York or LA um, or wherever where the fuck are Collective Soul even from they seem like they're from like Iowa or something yeah I would have said a, like to, a, to use a really bad term I would have said a flyover state but yeah, well, you know what? They're from Stockbridge, Georgia, which, like, right. who even knows what the fuck that is? Yes. Yeah. Looks, oh, looks like a very small town. It's just living under the shadow of a helicopter again. Um, but, yeah, like, so so I think it was, like, I, I, but I do distinctly remember, like, the act of, like, getting my dad to drive me to the store to buy the tape, and that being, like, this, like, really, like, important thing where I was, like, not just listening to, like, my parents' tapes anymore, but, like, I wanted to, like, establish my own kind of collection but I, I really wasn't like discerning in terms of and that's also something that I love about being younger and I think people have kind of returned to thanks to like streaming and just in general like realizing it's okay to like love pop music yeah is like being capable of loving collective soul and also fugazi like th- those are it's it's possible to to do both um and, and it honestly took yeah. me a long time to sort of get into stuff where I'm like, oh, these people are doing it for a different reason, whether it was, like, getting into Fugazi or, or like, getting into, like, proper kind of, like, local bands and being like, oh, shit, like, this is different. You can go see a band play in a basement in Richmond Hill. Um, but that took me, a, like, a, honestly, kind of took me a long time to get to. And then yeah. you, like, steer too hard into it, you become, like, a pretentious piece of shit, but, like, you know. <laughs> but we'll get there. That's the yeah, next, exactly. that's the next exactly. step. Yeah. So one thing I love about listening to the 155 podcast um, that has nothing to do with Blink is the, I guess, the similarities that Australia has with Canada in a bunch of things. Like So Australia has something similar. I don't know what the, the, what the proper wording for it is, but um, with the music, like, the Australian content we have to play. Mm-hmm. But I think Australian radio, I think it's, I think it's about twenty five percent. It might be about, it might be a third. Um, unfortunately, it gets, um, it gets used improperly. Would be the best way to put it. Or like, like nothing new get nothing, nothing really new gets played on the radio. Right. Yeah. Like they just fall back onto ACDC when is an Australian band. Let's play ACDC or like you know insert other bands from in excess. In excess. Yeah. They just go. This is Australian, like they had, they were huge worldwide. But this is Australian, so like a lot of younger bands don't really get played on. They're not, they're not playing the like Camp Cope or whatever. Not on the majors, no. There's a so we What's, have a. Re- so go on. No, no, no. Sorry, you say your thing, but then I have Australia uh, questions. Yeah, so like um, we have yeah, so we have that that Australian content thing. We also have, so you guys talk about much music, um, and various shows on that. We had to a different a kind of different take on it but we had this show back in the 90s called Recovery which you guys talk about all the time with all the Blink appearances and stuff so it was like yeah. it was the before there was like before everyone had internet like it was the show where you could learn about new music like um, and they play they like you know it was a three hour show every Saturday morning and you'd you'd learn about like if you lived in the suburbs and there was no way you were making it into the city and you were underage or that kind of thing and that they were actually also reaching out to people like in country, in rural areas and really putting 
you know, what's happening musically and even, I guess, culturally um, into people's lounge rooms, that was really, really accessible. Like, one of the, the, the biggest person to come out of that show as what of this Towns was they had this um, movie reviewer named Lee. I can't think of his last name, but you probably know his last name when I tell you the story. Um, this Lee guy was just a... Just a dim, like I'm sure it was more than that, but his role on the show was to review movies and that kind of thing. And then he went off the radar for a bit, and then turns back up as like he wrote the first Saw movie. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't remember who wrote it. Like uh, James James Wan directed it. Was it Lee Winnell or whatever that guy? Is that I, I gotta look? They just called him Lee. I don't remember. So that's him. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just I don't know how to pronounce his last name because it's like so Australian. I, I can't mean, even pronounce that. Yeah, but yeah, is that so he, is that him? Lee, that's him. Lee, yeah, Lee. Is that how you'd say that? Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's he just, sick. He's he amazing, just, dude. Yeah, like it was. You know, they had all these talented people that were doing, you know, obviously things other than the TV show. But yeah, he was the big. He was the big thing to come out of it. But that, yeah, that was the way we got culture, which I guess is the way you guys were getting. Like you guys were getting that through the Much Music show. Totally. There's yeah. All these, there's all these cool parallels that kind of. Like we're literally on the other side of the world, but um, we yeah we have these same kind of same similar reference points for for things. That's wild. I love yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean that stuff. So uh, like that moment in history, I just think is so great. And I mean I'm constantly. Uh, I feel, you know, and maybe everyone feels this way. I hope, maybe I hope everyone feels this way, but I feel like so tremendously fortunate to have, I mean, like I'm, I'm quite aware and we talk about it so much on the pod that it's like an, an annoying cliche, but like, I'm extremely aware of like being, you know, born into like comfort and privilege. I'm like a fucking straight cisgender white dude with like, you know, two great parents living in a with a house in the backyard, like. Yeah, life could not like my actual like you know all of those factors are, are amazing, but then also like just to have been born, you know I was born in 1985 and like I got to experience all of my childhood you know basically without the internet and like without the stress of having to like you know maintain like an Instagram profile that made me seem cool when I was like 15, but yeah. like had yeah. enough internet where like. You know, when I would, like, meet people at camp, like, I could add them on ICQ, and that, yep. like, at a Absolutely. moment when, like, you know, I was starting to gain some independence, like, I could stay awake in my parents' fucking basement and, like, talk to people on ICQ, and, like, I could download a couple of MP3s and find out about new bands, and, like, but, like, mostly we were in this, like, great moment of alternative culture where we had these shows that was, like, a way to sort of find out about music. It was still, like, an era of, like, monoculture, so there was, like one thing kind of for you to latch on to and so we have this like collective nostalgia like even yeah across these like tremendous distances like you and I have this sort of similar cultural experience like we we were the only generation to have like video stores like video rental stores like our you yeah. know our parents generation didn't have it and like our kids are not going to have it and like at all yeah that in, that entire experience was like a seminal part of growing up and like discovering genres of movies and then like we get to experience all of the kick-ass shit about being online 24 hours a day, which is, like, sometimes a fucking nightmare, but mostly this, like, tremendous gift. But then we also had, like, we got to have, like, a, a simpler childhood. And we got, but then we, and we got those moments. And I'm just, like, hearing you talk about that just reminds me of that, like, just tremendous fortune that we have. Yeah, we, like, I, I completely agree. We definitely got lucky. Like, when we, were, we were at, yeah, at an age where we the internet kind of was a 
we got eased into it or we eased ourselves into the internet. Yeah. As opposed to like you're born, the second you're born, you're probably already on, like days within being oh. born, you're already on someone's Instagram feed. Totally. Your parents registered your fucking Instagram yeah. handle. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, they've already like, got your Gmail address. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a sickness, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. What was it about Collective Soul? Like, how did you, how did you, how did you first hear it? Was it a radio thing or was it, um, was yeah, it so musical? Yeah. I, it would have been the radio So we had um, Our like kind of local rock station Is 102.1 The Edge Or like CFNY Back in the day And uh, They Like it, Honestly Like you know These days it's It's um, Kind of much Cornier and commodified like all radio, but you know they had like some some really great. And they, they still have great personalities on the station, um, but like you know when I was growing up, they had like you know really amazing DJs uh, or hosts or whatever they're called, you know. And they had like their their countdown, which was like the Thursday Thirty, uh, and that like I remember like that being you know in addition to because like much was like a mix of like you know it would be all rock, but then it would also be like. Stuff that I, I didn't like at the time Like it would be, you know, like Spice Girls Or like just pop music that I wasn't into I, I like hated rap growing up Because I was like that, you know, that yep. kid And um, but since obviously realized that I'm a fucking idiot And hip-hop is, you know, uh, an incredible genre That's a dumb sentence But the point is just like, as a kid, I like hated that shit So I was like... Yeah. The Edge was actually like a consistent kind of outlet for like cool alternative music And so like this song was played constantly there It was played constantly on, on Much Music And I had a friend who was like sort of got into like, you know, contemporary alternative music before me Named Paul Boschik And we became friends in like the third or fourth grade And so like he would always make these like, you know, video mixtapes and stuff Like just taping music videos off of much And so yeah. like the the gel video and, and gel as a song Was like in sort of very heavy rotation for me As a like fifth grader or whatever And so this was just like kind of the first thing that I think I like truly like wasn't a, yeah Rodgers and Hammerstein musical and like I had gravitated towards it and like very quickly like found other things but it's just like one of those things that is like this will always be my truth is that Collective Soul was you know the first the first thing that I bought and like it got it got cooler pretty quickly after that you know like I got yeah. Dude Ranch in a couple of years um, and then you know from there started getting into punk but like this was sort of the tip of the spear for me for sure Sick. so is there a collective soul song yeah so the one I grabbed was straight up it was just gel because like Sick. that was it for me man like this was like the like this was all over that radio station it was like and this was like the first time that I remember you know like staying up like you would stay up and listen to the Thursday 30 so it started at like it was basically like 9 till 11 which was like late as fuck if you were in you know uh the sixth grade or whatever yeah very and, much so. uh but this was like and it was hosted by this guy they had a couple of hosts but like one of the hosts uh, when I sort of started to get into it was um this guy George Strombolopoulos who then went on to be a much music host uh which we've covered now extensively and also like went on to then be a host for the CBC which is our national broadcaster and then he became like a hockey host and now like everyone he's a YouTuber um, but he well, was like okay. he he was like the cool VJ on much like he was like always wearing like punk and metal band shirts and like was like just this this sort of uh, 
when you were younger, like this real like just like beacon of cool. Uh, when everyone else was like sick and they had like much had great hosts and the Edge had great radio hosts, but he was like accessible and he hosted the Punk Show on CFNY, which like I guess that was like I, th- I want to say that was. Wednesdays or something and that was like later that would be like 11 till midnight and they would play like your demo and it was like this was like a major radio station but if you like walked in with your demo tape into the studio because they had a street level studio they would play it Um, and so like but anyway so this song was just like constantly on that radio station like around the time that I kind of like fell in love with it as a station and constantly on much around the time that I had started watching much and so this just like became like I said, I wish that this was like cooler. I wish it was a cooler answer, but this was the first tape that I bought, and I can't, I can't escape my the truth of my past. So did you have any, um, you were the older brother in the, like, no, you know, there's no regrets about not having other siblings, but like I always was envious of friends who had older brothers because they got in, like a lot of them got into newer music at an early age. Yeah, totally. Then I did, and so I'd bounce off them and their older brothers and see what they're doing. Like, did you have someone you were looking up to? Yeah, so I had, music? 
Totally. I had so uh, my mom's like best friend. Uh, she had a couple of kids who are older than us. And so her son was, like, really into, you know, like, Mr. Bungle. Like, he was, like, a, a drummer, and so he was, like, also, like, very into, like, musical stuff. So, you know, he loved, you know, he loved Faith No More, and he loved Mr. Bungle, and he loved uh, he loved Fugazi. And so, and I, I may have, like, I always talk about this, because this is, like, the other, like, sort of big gateway moment for me. But when I was in, because this tape is, like, I bought this when I was in the fifth grade, and then I got yeah. into, like... Yeah, all these Canadian alt-rock bands, and I got into the Foo Fighters, and I got into the Smashing Pumpkins, and all the kind of stuff that everyone loved at that time. And uh, I was in the seventh grade, and he gave me uh, a copy of In on the Kill Taker, the Fugazi album. Yeah. It was like, every band that you like worships this band. Like, this is like, you need to listen to this. And I listened to it, and I fucking hated it, because, like, it's not, it's nothing like the Foo Fighters. The Foo Fighters are, like, you know... Hyper melodic. It's like a pop band, and yeah. like Fugazi is like difficult and shouty. And I didn't listen to anything that wasn't like hyper melodic. I didn't like. I didn't like hardcore. I didn't. Um, I didn't appreciate anything that that wasn't like poppy and hooky. And so like yeah. the Fugazi record was just like so difficult. And I actually ended up lending it to the guy I mentioned earlier, Paul Boschek, who was like otherwise like the one who's like kind of like into a little more edgy shit or whatever I was like maybe you'll like this and he was like I don't like it and I was like okay I don't know what the fuck to do with this but I like yeah. kind of kept listening to it because it was one of those things where I was like I'm supposed to get this and um, yep. it kind of like it's like public witness program is like kind of a pop punk song by Fugazi standards Yeah. and so it's like eventually I kind of latched onto that it's like the second song on the album and it's funny because there's nothing else in the Fugazi discography that is like remotely like that song, but that yeah. like that song kind of helped me like unpack it. But that was all him. Like that was like he was like you have to listen to and appreciate this band, and that and that was like the thing that kind of like opened up everything else. Like because that opened up Minor Threat, and then like Minor Threat opens up Black Flag, and then it's just like you go and you you go yeah. from there. Yeah, but, doors get kicked down from that. Yeah. Totally, but that all came from, yeah, Brian Tyso, who was, like, yeah, a couple years older than me and, like, into cool shit and, like, probably a stoner at that time and now is, like, an engineer. And, uh, and yeah, so he, he sort of, like, filled that role of, like, passing on cool shit when I was, like, only listening to, like, basic normie shit. Yeah. So Fugazi's one of those things where, like, I just think, there's, it's near impossible. Like, unless you are the coolest motherfucker in the world, it's near impossible to get handed any Fugazi, like any Fugazi album and go, I get it. Like, straight away, I just get it. Because no, totally, I, yeah. Yeah, like, I feel like anyone that like anyone that was around as it was actually happening had already kind of gone that, like, gone that path of the trajectory of, like, working through music and all of a sudden this coming out and then going, yeah, well, this is the obvious next step in what was happening where like nowadays if someone just throws it in front of you like I don't I don't know I don't get where this is coming from like yeah I just can't get my head around it and eventually yeah if you give it enough time and you, you can kind of work your way towards it but yeah it's really hard just to dive head first into yeah it's just, it, I, there are, there are a lot of easy entryways it. yeah totally yeah. I mean they eventually became like you know my favourite fucking band um, but yep. it it, yeah, it's sort of like you need a lot of 
context and you need to be listening to it in a specific way and then one day it just like clicks but I still know like, I also think it's like perfectly acceptable to hate Fugazi like Damien Abraham like hates Fugazi he's like okay. it's just like a, if a bunch of hardcore guys were like what if we did world music because especially like the early Fugazi stuff is, is very much like they, they straight up were like probably trying to do like reggae and it sounds like fucking insane because they weren't doing it right and yeah they hadn't it yet yeah but that's you know, so so he hates, but he also hates the Clash, or he just he thinks the Clash are like a rock band. Anyway, it's fine. Yeah, that's um, that's that's always an interesting one when on his podcast when he mentions that. I just think, what are you missing? Like, yeah, yeah. it just, but it just never connected for him, and that's it. I mean, like, you know, taste is it's it's all subjective, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, were your parents um, were they really conservative? Well, I mean, you mentioned that they like you used to have band prac at your house, so they must have been open to the idea of you finding you know you and your sister i guess finding yourself as weird as that kind of comment sounds like they're obviously cool with you listening to music and getting loud and that kind of thing yeah like i mean i i think i've said it like i'll I'll hopefully said it a lot i mean on the the book 55 pod but also just like hopefully in my regular life is like i'm like literally so fucking fortunate to be again like you know, born into the family that I was. So yeah, my parents were like amazing. I, um, so I I, like started playing drums at school when I was in the sixth grade. And then I built like a a practice drum kit out of wood in shop class just so like, so I could keep practicing at home. Like this was not like, not a real, like it was like a, a, you know, you know, picture like a V drum set where it's like pads. It was like that, but just like blocks of wood. Like it was horrible, but it allowed me to like in my bedroom at home, like set up, you know, like a hi-hat and a snare drum and a cymbal ostensibly and like play along to records. And then in the summer between um, grade seven and grade eight, uh, my music teacher, Mr. Dobbin from the aforementioned middle school, John G. Altos, he let me take the school drum kit home for the summer after wow, that's uh, cool. After we had music camp and then I, he just let me borrow it. So I had the drum kit in the basement all summer and was playing it all the time and I think my parents were like, you know, this isn't that bad. Like, which is insane because I'm sure it was horrible because oh, uh, I pl- yeah. played drums for hours on end and um, but they didn't hate it and so for my birthday in the eighth grade they let me go and like we bought like a you know drum kit from a guy from like the classifieds like and and that sort of was it like it was like then we had the drum kit and then you know you get into high school and you meet people who like you know okay who who plays what and you kind of figure it out and because the drums were at our house like that's there's just like nowhere else you can go and so we yeah. put everything in the furnace room in our in our in our basement and that was where we would practice and so like you know i appreciated it at the time but it's like you get older and you're like god damn like we're so lucky and that's just what we did and i was i was straight edge for uh, like through high school, like I was gonna say, like everyone. That's obviously not true, but like everyone, I was straight edge for a while until I absolutely wasn't. And so, like yeah. none of my and none of my friends drank, and none of us like smoked weed. And so, like all we did was like hang out in the basement and like watch movies, and like play, uh, play in bands, and like we would have shows at my parents' house, and it was like super wholesome and like so fun. And so, and they they never complained. Like they were so encouraging. You know, when I started putting on shows when I was in high school, like we do shows like at venues downtown and they would come out and they'd like sell the merch like they were just like, 
Yeah, they were they were so wonderful and consistently supportive, and and obviously still are. But you kind of like look back on that, and you're just like, Jesus Christ! Like, not everyone gets to grow up that way, and you don't realize yeah. it at the time because you're like, you just have a the only thing you know is your own kind of experience, and then yeah, you you know you grow up and you meet different people who have different kinds of relationships with their family, and you just like realize like what you had what you continue to have so yeah. yeah they were always like super cool and like the 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 noise didn't bother them and like i was always like when it we didn't have people over playing music i was always in my room listening to music stupid fucking loud and like playing along to stuff and i had a four track and so i was always recording and so like the one thing that i look back on and like really cringe about is like that i would i because i was like recording demos on a four track so i'd like play drums for a little while and then i'd play guitar for a little while and then i would just be like singing like with no accompaniment in my basement and i'm like god that's insane like i'm like the idea that my whole family just could hear me being like you know whatever the fuck i was i was doing but they were always like yeah insanely cool about it but there, there was like some stuff and so like for this in terms of like what was i into that my parents hated is like after getting into like collective soul and after getting into like all of these like kind of mainstream rock bands and then kind of getting into like I mean like at the same time that I was into Minor Threat like I also really loved Limp Bizkit and so like the song I wanted to grab for this was literally like Counterfeit by Limp Bizkit which is still an insanely sick song because I have this like super distinct memory of like the first day that I was in high school so like grade 9 for us Um, like that night uh, after like sort of the getting oriented and figuring shit out um i had like a friend whose older brother was playing a show downtown at this venue that's no longer there called the cathedral and it was part of this like three venue complex at the corner of bathurst and queen there's the cathedral on the main floor the reverb on the second floor and holy joe's on the top floor and there was this like you know battle of the bands happening on the first floor and his his brother's punk band was playing lib living in a bus and when we walked okay. in, there was a band covering Counterfeit by Limp Bizkit. And I was like, I'm home. This is the greatest place I've ever been in my life. And this was like the shit that like, I know that my parents didn't understand because it was like not melodic and stupid. And my parents um, were not like conservative. They were conservative in the way that like parents are conservative. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, yeah. like they you hate, they hate that. Yeah. They hate They hate swearing, you know, yeah. and like. There's not a lot of like in Fugazi, I guess there's some swearing. I can't really even think of it, but it's like Lip Biscuit is a lot of like fuck, and it's like really prominent it's, in the mix. Yeah, it's and very so, emphasized, yeah. Yeah, and so like they hate like this stuff. I know that they hated, uh, and I I like could not stop listening to it. Like I, I fucking I loved Lip Biscuit for like I still love Lip Biscuit, uh, and you know this, this, but this was definitely like. I barely rebelled because I had, I had nothing to rebel against. So, like, again, yep. my parents were, like, lovely. But this was, like, the, like, super bullshitty angst stuff that, like, I know drove them crazy. I, I feel like, I've again, I've, I'm sure I've said it before, like, from... Oh, so I'm born in 81, you're born in 85. It's... I'm sure more people outside that window like the music, but it's it's only that small window of time where... That was that stuff was really, really, really popular, and kind of just had that sound that everybody kind of latched onto. Well, yeah, and whether it have like whether it was like for six months or a few years, like it really it was. How do I, without sounding like without 
dismissing Nirvana's legacy and the grunge legacy, it was like the grunge for, you know, the next generation. It was yeah. the angsty, yeah. It was, it was like angsty it, music. Yeah, totally. I mean, this was it. It was like, didn't come, it came from a much more calculated place. Um, but Very, yeah. You can't help it when you're that age. Like, it's like, it's what hits you, hits you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what, what, what other stuff were they not like, yeah, what other stuff weren't they into? Or were you getting down with that? You thought maybe I won't blast this one too loud or while they're around. I feel like it was just this. Cause like, this was the heaviest yeah. thing I got into. Like I didn't get into, um, you know, like bands like Converge. Like I had like a couple of friends. So like I played in, I played drums in a band that was like kind of like a new metal type type band, like a very like, you know, incubacy, like kind of funky and experimental, but heavy, yeah. uh, band. And like, the singer in that band was was into Converge, like around when like Jane Doe came out, and like I didn't get it. I was like, this is insane. Like I didn't I didn't listen to like proper ass heavy music until I was like much older. Because again, it was yeah. just like I had Andrew Lloyd Webber brain forever, and I just like okay. couldn't appreciate I couldn't appreciate it. And so there was like not a lot that they that they like truly couldn't stand. I think it was like this stuff, like anything that was just like. Aggressive and dumb And like seemingly like Again It was like the swearing The swearing was the thing That got them Otherwise like It was all fine Like I think You know I got really into like I was very into dashboard And I had like my own You know like acoustic Dashboardy thing that I did Because I was like An earnest Teenager with like Lots of feelings Did you ever record anything Outside the full track? Uh Yeah So like we did like a Like uh, a record with it's funny actually like the first time I like recorded in a well, actually it wasn't even in a studio it was like in his parents house but um, the guy that's recorded like all of the Junior Battles records and um, has also done like all the Flatliners records and like Creepshow a bunch of like Toronto punk bands this guy Steve Risen um, I recorded like a, a dashboard ass record with him when I was like in the 11th grade or something Wow. So well, yeah, we we like recorded. We were like sort of serious. I mean, sort of serious the way like your high school band is serious. But like you know, yeah. we like pressed CDs. Um, you know, we played shows outside of Toronto once or twice. Uh, yeah. But like, I think that stuff, like the like super confessional songwriting stuff, I think like occasionally like my parents would be like, you, uh, like, are you good? Like, because all of the songs would just be like. Sad sack emo right. kid yeah, shit. Yeah. It was and almost so, like they read your diary through your through yeah. Your songs. And I think yeah. they were like, it, like what, like, are you? Like, I, I kind of like have this vague recollection now that you're at, like, now that we're sort of really getting into it, of like at some point, like my mom just being like, "You sure this is like the stuff that you want to like? You want people to hear you to doing? Because yeah. uh, it's just so like you know, and everything is sad and upset. Yeah, uh, but." Like that was it So it was like Swearing And like Diary confessional stuff That maybe they were like You sure about this? The swearing just made them mad But that was it Like otherwise like Not a lot of like Not a lot of rebellion Kind of necessary in my life Yeah Understandable Yeah Yeah I mean you've got to vent You've got to vent some kind of frustration Whether it be About girls or about The totally. man or whatever Yeah Well it's just like You know one of those things Where like You know I went through A, a period of like Feeling really like Stupid for like ever being mad about anything or like sad about anything because you're like my problems are so 
uh, yeah. comedically inconsequential, then you're like, it's it's like it's context. You know what you know. Like if like yeah. you're in the tenth grade and the thing that makes you sadder than anything else in the world is like that a girl doesn't like you. That's your reality, and you can't like you can't think your way out of like your your like contextual reality. And so Absolutely. it's it's fine to just be like a really sad piece of shit at that time. Yep. And I'm yep. just, I'm you're just, allowed to. You've got that exactly. little gap that you're allowed to do it. Exactly. So you just got to embrace that. And so that's yes. uh, that's unfortunately for all of us what I did so at that time. I'm guessing this would have been around the time that you got into Blink as well. Yeah, totally. Because that was like, I, I remember being in, um, it would have been, I guess, fuck, probably the eighth grade. Or it was like the summer of grade seven going into grade eight because Dude Ranch came out in 97, right? Like, this is one of those things that yeah. it's like, this is literally the information I should know. Um, but it was like, damn, it was obviously all over much and all over the edge. And so I bought Dude Ranch at the HMV in Sherway Gardens, so the better Etobicoke Mall. And I, like, remember very distinctly... Um, like putting it like I literally remember it's like one of those things where I can picture like the CD with the like sort of like six shooter um, yep. thing on the on the face like taking it out because like, I just, I thought it looked so sick and I remember yeah. taking it out and putting it in my disc and at the time I'd only heard damn it like I don't think Josie was a single yet and so I didn't know anything else I remember putting it in my fucking discman in my parents' minivan being driven to physiotherapy because at the time I was like uh, a competitive swimmer also Wow, okay. And so, but I had like fucked up my knees. So, um, yeah, I did like borderline, like not serious, but like, you know, like pr- competing at a provincial level in like grade from grade seven to grade eight, basically. And so, uh, I, but I had fucked up my knees. And so I w- was being driven to physio and I like put the CD on in my disc bin. And I think I like literally only got through because it was so, so close to my house. Like I got through like the first two songs, but yeah. like, I remember pathetic starting and like, I had never heard anything that fast because there wasn't, um, like pop punk on the radio at that point was like, damn it. And then I don't know, maybe it would have been like Goldfinger or something like it or some there, kind of green or like when I come around or something. Yeah. But like green day was never doing like skate punk, like, and so yeah. like that, that pathetic is like so fast. And so like insane at the gate, but again, it has like the sort of like vocal interplay between Mark and Tom on that is like very much like it could be from a Rogers and Hammerstein musical, right? Like it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not so different from like, there's nothing like a Dame. Yeah. And, uh, it, it was like, it just like broke my fucking brain. Like it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I can, I can, the fact that I remember the moment of like putting the CD in my discman and like where I was, like we were on the West mall, like, but like passing Burnham Thorpe. I'm like, I, it's all there. And, and so this was, this was at that time. And, and I'm also just like, was I just ignoring my mom? Like, why was I listening to my discman in the car? But I guess that's what kids do is yeah. you ignore, you ignore your parents, even though they're lovely human beings and you, yeah. you need to cherish your time with them. So, but yeah, so this was, this was also like at that, at that time but like my parents my parents what they were aware of in terms of blink they like approved of okay right 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 they, like think, their, their their vocals aren't as I mean they're a lot quicker and they're not as clean as a Limp Biscuit. so if there's any swearing it's like 
kind of comes and goes really quick. Yeah, exactly. And like, I probably wouldn't have played like Family Reunion for them or whatever. Yeah, but it was like, it was music that like I think on some level they could like understand. But like, we didn't have like a, uh, you know, we had a tape deck in our, we didn't have like a CD player or anything. And so like, I was like around the time that like you know there was like this transitional period right of of starting to collect CDs instead of tapes. And yeah. so there was no way to listen to them in the car. And so they only would have heard it like coming through my wall. And, and yeah, there's definitely nothing okay. in it to like that would, you know, concern you as a parent. Yeah. So being a, like with your swimming, that would have been like a lot of early mornings. Yeah, it was like uh, some early mornings and then like a couple of nights after after school or whatever. Okay. Um, but yeah, that was like a thing for a minute. I was like a real fit, you know, 12 year old. And did you, did you? Was it your knee? Sorry. Yeah, I fucked up my knee. Yeah, was I that, still have. Was that was that due to like some kind of RSI from swimming, or was that? No, I think it was just like a degenerative thing. I have a okay. I have a uh, a thing called patellofemoral syndrome, which is just like the um, uh, stuff in my knee is uh, going away that you need to keep the bones from just like so. There's just like the bones will just like grind on each other or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess I I like exacerbated the problem doing like you know like the breaststroke like the whipping your leg yep. around thing yeah um yeah that's that was it that's my 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 swimming and physio journey <laughs> sick so let's get back to the music then um it doesn't need to be said but i'm going to say it anyhow obviously pop punk is a big part of your life even to this day um how did pop punk kind of come into the frame was do ranch your first yeah do ranch, ranch was totally it like i mean i um i think i owned Nimrod probably prior to that when did Nimrod come out because that was like and I'm, I'm going to look this up right now because oh, I'm going to say 90 I'm gonna it, say was al- it was also uh, no it was also 97 um, oh well okay but oh so I wonder maybe maybe so I guess it kind of all happened around the same time but it's like this was like the like Dude Ranch was like the fucking record for me like that like full on kind of changed my life and yeah. um, you know it was like at that time all the and I think like you know Josiah and I've talked before on on the pod like you know bands would oh bird just shit on me fuck the breaks <laughs> yeah that's it this is what happens when you decide you're like it's a beautiful day I'm gonna do something god damn it all right well uh, so look at you know my life has not been a bed of roses people should know that I have suffered um, you yes. know uh, tons and in the, my time and that's just that's just part of, that's just part of the suffering that's, that's exactly like being on yeah. my beautiful deck in the sun and getting shat on so like. This was an era when, you know, like, Blink were still, like, a punk band, and so, like, the, the liner notes are just, like, you know, the, it starts with, like, thanking all the bands that they've toured with and are friends with, and, like, that just becomes, like, your kind of jumping-off point. And, yeah. you know, I mentioned the, uh, you know, the band camp that I went to in the summer that uh, subsequently I then, like, worked at when I was in high school, and the kids that were our counselors were, like, you know, only, like, two or three years older than us, and they were all, like, into, like, ska and... And pop punk at that time and they like played in ska and pop punk bands and so like they were like the cool kids the cool punks in Etobicoke and so in particular uh, there were these two bands the 420 Club which was a ska band and um, uh, Two Stroke Finish which was like a pop punk band and they had a split CD that was like the cool fucking thing like everyone had it in Etobicoke yeah. and this was like the cool thing and so those guys were also and this is what I love about like kind of Etobicoke maybe and like the the music program that we had at that school is like these kids were like you know these kids were definitely not straight edge they were like 
playing yeah, in these club. You're not going to be straight edge. Exactly. But they yeah. also were band camp counselors. Do you know what I mean? Like they yeah. were, you know, teaching kids how to play like classical music and then like, you know, getting fucking hammered and, and playing like slick shoes covers or whatever. Okay. And, uh, and, but they kind of like subsequently, like, so when you were at band camp, like they would be listening to like old school, less than Jake. And they'd be listening to like unwritten law and they'd be listening to, you know, Goldfinger or like catch 22 or whatever. Yep. And so that became like another kind of like gateway in kind of all, all kind of happening at the same time. And so like, you know, Green Day was sort of like, I think, newly relevant because of Hitchin' a Ride. Like it's Omniac had sort of been a bust. And so like that got yeah. huge. And so like, you know, bought Nimrod and I like, I got Ixnay on the Ombre for Christmas. And that's like still, I think the best offspring record. And you kind of like use those liner notes as like, instructions to yeah, then just like so. go and find other shit and it's one of those things where I'm like it doesn't matter now because you get like you know recommendation algorithms and kids get pushed to like way crazier shit but like the idea of like buying that that one CD and opening it up and being like okay cool like I'm gonna f- okay I gotta figure out who the fuck no use for a name are I have to figure out who you know like dancehall crashers are I gotta figure yeah. out who all of these different like, who's useless ID who are all these people and, and you kind of like go from from there and so like that was it it's just like that's that's you know that becomes the real kind of like top of the funnel where you just like you just go you know further and further down until you know you realize that there's like also bands doing that at a local level and so that was what like 420 club and two stroke were but then you just find out like more and more and like stuff that's like you know happening locally you know like you know whether it's you know grade was a huge one for me that we've like talked about on the podcast that was the first like local band that I like that I thought was like as great as Green Day or Blank. And okay. I think t- time has proven that they were. And then that opens up this whole other world to you where it's like there was amazing stuff happening in the like 905 scene at that time, like really cool hardcore and, and really like, you know, like good ska bands and just like, you know, good pop punk bands. And so that becomes like the, the sort of God tier of like pop punk shit that like, is relatable and and sort of subsequently kind of informs what you realize you can like do with your time and your life I guess we'll, we'll get I'm sure we'll touch on this later but we'll, I'll just ask now what what era of grade did you get in because like you mentioned it just like recently on a podcast when uh, Damien was Damien Abraham was on and you, you guys talked about grade a fair bit but like they to to put grade not and I'm not saying grade are in the same category as Green Day but to Oh, I gets, am. Oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. No, no, that's cool. Like, like, don't get me wrong. I love Grade as well. They were the first band that I ever travelled interstate to go see. But, like, I'd never think to put Green Day and Grade in the same sentence, even musically. Like, Oh, well, yeah, no, they don't belong together. But I think it's just, like, again, it, it just if you think of, like, the things that maybe had, like, an impact on your life or whatever. Oh, and, that right, you still, okay. and that you still listen to. Like, I still listen to Grade, and I still listen to Green Day. Like, it's yeah. not, and it's not a nostalgic thing. Like, there's local bands, like, there was this, like, sort of synth-pop band called The Pettit Project that was, like, super fun and came up, like, you know, around, like, the same time. It was, like, Boys Night Out and, like, some other, like, cool, like, Silverstein, which is, like, still yep. a band. And 
that stuff, like, I go back to it. I'm like, it's like saccharin. Like, it's too, it's too sweet. It's too poppy. But it's yeah. like fun to listen to for nostalgia's sake. I will listen to Grade. Like, I think that Grade like holds up in a way that I think that like Green Day holds up in a way that I think like Blink and Offspring hold up. Like, yeah. you know, it's 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 a they're a classic seminal band. That's 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 more what I mean. Okay, no, that that completely makes sense. Sick. So, are we gonna go with a Blink song? Or are we gonna go with um, Lib Biscuit? Oh, let's 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 do Limp Bizkit, man. Let's do Counterfeit. Let's be real as fuck about it. This was like Sick. this was what if we're talking about rebellion and my dad sucks. Like this was this was the closest thing to like borderline rebellion that occurred in my house, and it's like the most like cornball, cheesy, horrid, manufactured version of rebellion you can imagine, and I still think it fucking rules.
was pretty sick. Like, <laughs> listening to the song and then watching the film clip accompanying it, it again, it completely makes sense why, why white kids, predominantly white kids all over the world went, yeah, this is me. This is exactly what I'm feeling right now. Yeah, it's like a real, like, generic, like, white rage against, like, yeah. nothing in particular. Against it's, it's, it's just a rage against boredom. Yeah, that's it. It's, yeah. you know, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's funny. Yeah. See? Um, so you're playing shows at a really, really early age um, and putting on shows. Like, obviously, Toronto has that kind of, that kind of uh, culture and accessibility that you can actually do that kind of thing really, really easily, yeah? Yeah, it was, you know, we were lucky enough, like that building that I mentioned was called the Big Bop that had like three floors of, of venues and they were almost always yeah. all ages shows. The loading would have been a fucking nightmare. Like, oh, I just hear three. Like, yeah, yeah, it was awful. But like, also, you're young. Like, you know, we, yeah. I was, yeah. now I would hate it. Uh, but yeah. at the time, it was like just exciting to be playing. And so we were lucky because there was like a lot of all ages shows and there was like guys like, you know, you and Exal, um, who is still a promoter in the city, like put on tons and tons of all ages shows and like Eric Warner, um, who's, who's a great promoter at that time and still like manages bands, tons and tons of all ages shows. Uh, like we were, we were really lucky at that time, you know, um, Mark Pesci put on great shows like at the back of a drift, this like skate shop and, you know, those were always all ages. So it's it's um it's been like under threat you know from time to time but there's still uh you know there's like shibijibis in the city kind of recently um there there's there's like places where all ages shows kind of still happen it, it's changed a lot like the venues ha- have i don't know how many venues there are that still do like especially smaller all ages shows like you can go to yeah. like a big show and it's fine um you know it'll be like mixed you know um drinkers at the back and kids at the front or whatever but like I think it's changed a little bit but at the time there was a lot of spaces and you know all you had to do was give them probably too much fucking money to book the space because they weren't making any money in bar sales but yeah. uh, you know it seemed, it seemed like a fair trade at the time and like you know we were young and it was like the thing to do so it, there was a good chance if you put on a show like everyone that you knew was coming to it and so you'd always like you know pay off the room and, and have a couple of bucks to like you know get like a pachi burger on your way home but like, I think it's I think it's more complicated now. Uh, you know, it's hard for me to say because like I'm fucking thirty three. <laughs> but yeah, but it's we not were definitely seen anymore almost. Yeah, we were definitely like lucky at that time for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, on a weird tangent jump, Giant Killer Shark. When did this kind of come about? So this was like, this was kind of around the like when I get old time of yeah. like. You oh, know, okay. I, so this is further down the track. Yeah. So this would have been like. Uh, I would have been in third year university, so like, okay. uh, I guess like, oh, fuck, like 11, 12 years ago or yeah. whatever. Yeah, 12 years ago. So that, whatever that is, 2006. So yeah, yep. that was like a, a, a thing that we did in Toronto for Fringe, and then we did, it was like Best of the Fest, and so we got to sort of restage it. Um, at a bigger theater and then we were part of like another festival here and then we brought it to New York and then we got to go do it uh, yeah over in Winnipeg and that was like a whole it was a, that was a fucking trip man it was like an entire like thing but that was like also kind of happening at the same time of like starting to play more seriously in 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 bands that were like actually touring like this was like when you know it was like the musical was happening and then we were like starting to go on real tours with real bands. And that's kind of all like mixed up in, in kind of the same era. 
So what bands were you doing prior to Junior Battles? So prior to Junior Battles, I was in a band called Arcs that was like sort of like the first like really serious band that I was in. And so we did, uh, we recorded like an EP and, and put that out ourselves. And then we toured, we did like one tour. So like the summer uh, between like uh, third year and fourth year, like the last year of university, we went out to the East Coast with this amazing Montreal kind of like emo, like Explosion in the Sky, like post-rock band called Issue 16. Uh, that were on this kick-ass label called New Romance for Kids. And so that was, like, our one tour. And, like, we, we opened for, like, some sick bands. Like we went for Omaha. I remember that band. But, like, that was, like, our, like, okay, cool. Like, we're, do- we're doing a band. This isn't, like, our, like, kind of high school bands where we're, like, mostly playing for our friends. This was, like, yeah. a, a thing. And then Junior Battles kind of came out of, like, the dissolution of that band. It had, like, some of the same people in it and stuff. Um, okay. Yeah, but that was like that was like the other kind of like serious band, and then it's just been like Junior Battles for like the last you know decade of my fucking life. And Junior Battles is still going. Yeah, like it's you know we so like for this this is sort of like I'll, I'll kind of jump around. So this was like the song yeah, I picked cool. for this section is um, by this band Bridge and Tunnel that uh, were on No Idea Records, and so like. Yep. This was like we did the, the the arcs tour that we did like out out to like basically Sydney, Nova Scotia, and back was like you know we were still driving like my parent we driving my parents' minivan like it was it was still like we were sort of like playing pretend a little bit like we were on tour but it was like you know it was it was we were sleeping on floors it was like the full deal but like you know no one. No one knew who we were. We, we had like a yeah. good show in Moncton. It was or whatever. It was like kind of wild. We we're like, oh, people know the songs because we'd like put the record out for free online, and um, you know, kind of like made a made a video. And we were we were like trying to kind of like do it, and that was like pretty yeah. legit. But like basically, Junior Battles like kind of started as like a we just want to have fun because the other band kind of got too serious, and then it kind of became serious, which is funny. But our first tour was with this band, so with Bridge and Tunnel, um, that are like a were a band from New York and you know there was no idea records had you know been like my favorite label for a long time and like yeah. you know I, I loved everything that they did and I loved the history I was obsessed with Gainesville like everybody else and uh, and this this tour was like you know Quebec and, and Ontario and it was us and Bridge and Tunnel and uh, O Pioneers and we ended up like literally like we became O Pioneers <laughs> essentially uh, like a year later and um, who else was on this tour? Orphan Choir was on that tour. And so that was, like, the first Junior Battles tour. And it was like, oh, shit, like, this is it. Like, we're, like, a real band. And um, it was, like, the sort of, like, inspiring, like, holy shit. We, do, we were, like, being treated as peers by these this band that's, like, from New York. And, like, yeah. is so fucking great and signed to, like, the greatest record label in the world. And they're, like, hanging out with us. And we're, you know, playing together in Montreal and you're like, life is so sick. <laughs> how did you, how do you hook that up? We had a like, friend. Was it, was it just in Canada or? Yeah, that was just in to, Canada. Yeah. That was just a Canadian tour. We started touring the States a lot more like after that. But uh, that was like, we had a friend, um, our friend Adam Kreeft, he's a booking agent and he books for the Flatliners. And so like, and the flats were like pals. Like we've been friends for a long time with those guys because they started being in a band when they were 16. Yep. And uh, and so I was like, hey man, like we're trying to do this thing. And so he he booked that tour and he put us on it, and it was like our first tour. He like he gave us all of our good tours. Like we toured we toured with Less Than Jake, like you know for a couple of weeks in the states, and like that was, you know, he hooked us up with that. Like you know, he kind of gave us all of our like big breaks, which was insanely kind of him. 
is that how the paper and plastic thing came about? The paper and plastic thing came about... How the fuck did that happen? So we before you go been... on, paper and plastic, for anyone who don't know, is Vinny from Less Than Jake's label? Yeah, yeah. So Vinny, who, like, also started Fuel by Ramen, um, yep. he basically, like, left Fuel by Ramen when it became, like, kind of too commercial. He just wanted to, like, put out bands that he liked again, and so he started Paper and Plastic. And yep. so we... Fuck. It was like somebody told him to check us out, and I, it might have been Chris from The Flats. It might have been Mel Kay, who's, like, a good friend, and she's, like... She worked for Fat Records here in Canada for a long time, okay. and she's just, like, an OG uh, Ottawa punk... And just like salt of the earth She's like a publicist for no effects And works for a bunch of bands And so she might have told him to check us out But basically like we played our first fest we, I think we, Fest 8 was the first fest that Junior Battles played And uh, So that's you going know, back a bit now Because was this year Fest 20? This year's Fest 17 Which is still fucking oh, okay, insane right. Yeah, And, uh, you know, we just had, like, such an amazing time, and it was, like, this was sort of on the heels of, you know, we did this tour with Bridge and Tunnel, and I had gone to Fest the year prior just, like, as a fan. I, like, went down with the Flatliners, actually, and it was, like, the most incredible experience of my life, and then, you know, we got to go back the next year and play it, and because we had done this tour, it was, like, we were friends with all these, like, the coolest bands, because you go down there, and, like, Bridge and Tunnel and O Pioneers are, like huge bands in that scene and they were like our friends and it was like this just like amazing experience of like feeling like you're kind of peers with people who you admire and like your best friends are also in your favorite bands and we just had this like incredible experience and we were had to start our drive home like at fucking 6am on the Monday morning after the festival and myself and Aaron uh, we're kind of sitting up front in the van and we're just like fuck like we had put out an EP at that point I mean I think we maybe put out a 7 inch and we were like god it'd be so fucking awesome if like we could do this record with paper and plastic it just seems like the right thing because they were releasing sort of stuff from bands that we liked and stuff from bands that was like were like maybe kind of um, as popular as us yeah. and so it just sort of seemed like it could be like the right move and like we loved the focus on the artwork and all the shit and like that was the, literally the conversation that we had and then we got like a, this is funny we got a MySpace message from Vinny that was like hey I was bummed to miss your guys set um, you know but can you send me like some shit that you're working on and we were like holy fucking shit wow. yeah. it was just like it was wild and so like that was that was somehow and, and, and it's funny I, I'm sure I know I gotta have to ask Aaron like I actually don't remember I think it was it was Mel Kay or it was Chris who like told him to check us out or something and and that was like how we ended our first trip to Fest which was like fucking amazing. And you drove. What's the what's the driving? What's the drive time like? I mean, to drive from Toronto to Gainesville is probably like twenty four hours or like thirty two hours or something. But we toured down, so we toured down with this band. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Yeah, we toured down with this band One Win Choice. Um, who are from Tom's River, New Jersey. They eventually all moved to Philadelphia, but they were, like, amazing, and they were, like, the best fucking dudes. And, like, the tour sucked. Like, it was, like, touring to Fest is terrible because everyone, you know, who would normally go to your show is going to Fest, and also every band is touring down. So even in, like, the smaller, shittier towns, it's, like, they had, like, eight amazing bands play that week. And so the shows are just, like... They were fun, though. We were playing, like, you know, punk houses in Delaware and... Yeah. You know, basements in Atlanta, but like they were terrible shows. But it was the best. Yeah, it's, it always is. Yeah, exactly. Six so bridge and tunnel song. 
Yeah, so this is like this was like the bridge and tunnel song, and this kind of like this was uh, how they like opened their set every night. And this is still like one of those things where like when like junior battles, like when we like get together because we are all like best friends still, and like so Good. when we just get together and like you know get drunk like eventually someone will put this song on and it's like this emotional climax for all of us because it is like just instant nostalgia to like time and place yeah yeah and like eventually tour becomes exhausting and you you hate sleeping on floors and it all sucks and this was like the moment when it was like everything is possible and we were all out of school and like you know no one no one had a job like we were just like we're all going to freelance and we're all going to do this band and you know, we're going to sleep on floors and like, this is like that. Like, this is just like this instantly transports me back to like, you know, spending a decade avoiding like a proper office job just to like be able to kind of chase this thing. Yeah. That's, that's fucking unreal. So Mm. what's the song? So this is wartime souvenirs from Bridge and Tunnel. Let's listen.
it's it, like it's not their fault, but this is such a well, like this is the kind of music I imagine played at fest twenty four seven, and I guess they were <laughs> these guys are probably yeah. the pioneers of it. But yeah, like so it's it's fantastic, but it's yeah, like it's it just seems like everyone went. That's the sound we should do. Yep. If you don't like right. fest, you're not gonna like that. And that's also like I think a funny division in terms of like what Josiah and I think like good punk is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, this is like. I mean, it's either this or it's like hot water, right? And that's and yeah. that is that's like you know or core to a fucking T. Yeah, very much so. Sick. Um, so, did Junior Battles have different singers? It's always in the same lineup, or because it's like, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's a really distinctive change vocally between the earlier stuff and the later stuff. Yeah, it's always been the exact same people, but it's just myself and Aaron are both singers. So it might have just been, like, what you listen to, depending, because the early stuff. uh, Like, the first EP, I basically sang everything, and then, like, with the 7-inch, it's, like, 50-50, and then kind of moving forward, it's, like, mostly Um, 50-50. But, like, we have pretty different voices, and so depending on the song, like... Uh, and, and then we like both we sing like in tandem on a bunch of shit, but generally there's yep. like you know Zorgal songs and there's like me songs. Okay, so yeah, there's no quote unquote singer. No, it's just like, it's was... just uh, the two of us sort of fighting for the limelight, you know. Sick. <laughs> so you've done like this this part of the podcast is so open to whatever you want to talk about, um, because obviously you've done a bucket load of stuff from <laughs> you know from like turning 21 or 18 or whatever the legal drinking age is to where you are now like what do you want to talk about like you know how did you get on MTV um how did I how did this exist happen um and obviously we're going to get to the pod but like you know let's talk about your time on MTV how did that come about yeah so that was a weird one like um at the time so like I it's, it's, I'm trying to figure out what the almost condensed version of it is. I'm just going to give kind of like the long version, which is also sort of like my like version of, and again, this is like coming from kind of a, a place of privilege, but like, you know, we have like interns at work and like sometimes people will like, I'll have conversations with people where they're like, how did you get your job? Like, how did, this is sort of what I want to do. And like, my answer is, is always like, just like, don't wait for someone. Like if you want to be a host on MTV, it's like, you can't sit around and like wait for that job to come to you. You just need to like make your own shit. And so like when yeah. I was in high school I started my own like e-zine which is like a fancy way of just saying like I started a fucking blog but in my mind it was an e-zine and that was like a way for me to like interview bands that I loved and like get free CDs and it worked and then I I applied for a job at Exclaim Magazine which is where Josiah is an editor now and uh, that was like you know my favorite fucking magazine and it's the only it's the only national music magazine in Canada and they, they would put grade on the cover and they would put like Manine on the cover, but they'd also put like, it was like an all genre magazine and they yeah, do okay. like, they do like more mainstream stuff, but mostly it was like for like serious, like music fans. And so I had applied when I was still in high school for like a sort of, they had a, you know, classifieds in the back and it was like, do you want to write about, you know, hip hop, you know, reggae, punk. And I was like, I can write about punk, you know? And, yeah. you know, a year later I got a, call from the editor like and it's so funny like probably called my parents house like and my mom answered so I started writing for Exclaim in like kind of the summer between high school and college because I'd already for years been sort of like churning out writing on my own like e-zine blog yeah and so I did that and then that was like kind of around the time that like 
um, YouTube was launching and like MySpace video was a thing. And so I had gone to school for radio and television. And so I basically pitched them on like, hey, let me make videos for Exclaim again, because I was also trying not to get a real job. And so I started making, you know, weekly videos like interviews with bands and, and stuff for Exclaim for like all those these emerging kind of digital platforms. And then that just sort of like, it just sort of keeps kind of going from there. I started doing work for this startup um, called, it was called Glassbox at the time. Now it's called Blue Ant Media. It's like a medium-sized media company in Canada. And they had a music channel that they were starting. And so I was doing work for them. And so through that, I ended up on like a panel show for MTV Canada. And then they had an opening for uh, a producer and the guy who produced those those shows that I'd been on hit me up and Junior Battles was on tour at the time we were um, I actually can't remember who oh, we, were, we were on tour with the Flatliners and okay. so I got an email from him that was like hey you had done you know you did this like you did those shows we really liked them we have an opening like I think I really think you should apply and I just like, ignored it because I was like I don't want to fucking work for MTV like fuck MTV yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and then he like called me and I ignored it. And then he texted me and was like, you should really, like, I, I'm sorry to hound you. And I was like, uh, and eventually I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm on tour. And I, like, called my, my uh, now my wife, my girlfriend at the time. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't really want to, like, because we were, like, building stuff kind of with our friends at that point. Like, we were doing, you know, all this yeah. stuff with Ox. And, and um, you know, I, I didn't really want to go work for this, like, big company. And, and we talked about it. She was like, well, you should at least apply. And I was, I was like, yeah, you're right, I should. So I, like applied you know we were playing at um oh what's the fucking cleveland venue fuck anyway we're playing in cleveland and i just remember like i went to a coffee shop next door and i'm just like okay i applied for this job didn't put any effort into it like i was just like fuck this but like i'll i'll try and then i like went in and met everyone i was like oh this is fucking cool and they offered me the job and like at the time it was like no money but it was more money than like i'd ever seen yeah and um and it was like oh shit like this is real and all of a sudden it was like oh i can be a producer at MTV and they let me like do whatever the fuck I wanted like I was there to be the cool guy and okay. I, it was like amazing because everyone else would have to do the like shit that I never would have wanted to have done and then I would get to interview like every time I die like I you know I was putting you know I put Bob Mould on MTV in, wow. two, in 2015 or whatever like they full on let me do you know whatever I want I interviewed fucked up like I got to we, you know, we, but what was it was it like what was it going towards? What was it airing as? So uh, I was a producer and a host for MTV News, which was like a half right, hour, okay. like news magazine style show. So it would be like artist interviews and and, yep. uh, and just like quick hits and stuff. And uh, it was like it was amazing. It it uh, it ended up like really not in the end being what I wanted it to be. And so I left like honestly fairly quickly. But yeah. it was like a. Um, kind of a, a wild like opportunity to experiment with something and it sort of like uh, legitimizes the shit that you've been doing in a way that is like you know I had spent all these years like not having a job and and doing like weird digital video stuff and that's always like a tough thing to explain to your aunt at Thanksgiving and yeah, all of a sudden it was like yeah. oh I work for MTV like everyone knows MTV like what do you do I'm a host at MTV and so it was yeah. like it, it sort of um, it made family get togethers like uh, much simpler which was you know, which was yeah. good but uh, 
it yeah, was something it was, for your family to take and brag to their friends about. Exactly, and and so it was like it was a it was a cool fucking experience, and like in the end, like they had, they ended up being bought by the same company that owns Much Music, and so for a while, I literally got to, the Much Music building is like. Uh, an iconic Toronto building. It's like right downtown on Queen West, which is like our coolest strip. And it's, that's yep. where all the, all the shows that we grew up watching were hosted. And so it was like, I got to show up for work there and I was like, well, cool. I made it. And then it turned out that like making it kind of like, wasn't what I thought it would be. And then I just quit. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay. This is a, you and both you and Josiah have a really broad and deep knowledge of almost, it feels like almost every kind of every, sub 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 genre of music is that a thing that you is that a thing that kind of came to you or did you go looking for it like because you'll mention weird and wonderful kinds of electronic music and like especially when you talk about the covers on the um on blink 155 like do you do you go searching for different things or does like does it kind of present itself like um again like weird variations of uh i can't even think of terms you've used but um like all that, well, yeah. Like, do you know, do you know what I'm? Do you know the yeah, kind of I, I, no, I know what you're about? talking about. Yeah, I think like it's a function of like, you know, it's just the thing that you care about. And it's funny, like for a long time, I was like, I wish I gave a shit about like something more useful, but yeah. like yeah. I don't. And and I'll always like I'll complain to Ashley, like, you know, we'll go out and talk to someone, and they'll like have such like a nuanced intelligent take on like something about cinema or something about history yeah. and I'm like fuck like I'll, we'll go home and I'll be like that so and so so fucking smart and they're like no but that's how she's like that's how you sound when you talk about like whatever dumb like you know the history of Montreal punk and I'm like yeah what a useless thing to know um and so that's also one of the things that's like fun about Book of 55 that's one of the things that's fun about this conversation is like this is the shit that I just care about and I think it's like it's one of those things that I can appreciate and, and also when I realize that I don't you know everyone always says like oh I wish I wish I did this or I did that and you're like well if you wanted to you just do it like you have yeah, you, just, you just prioritize things right um, yeah Again, I and, mean, and just to, to say, like, you know, that's as a person that has, like, idle time because I don't have kids and I, you know, um, I, I live a life of relative leisure, so I'm able to, like, indulge myself and I always have been. But, um, you know, that's, that's, that's it. It's just, like, you know, the only things that I read for, like, ever, especially, like, leading up to writing Perfect Youth, which was, like, my, my book about Canadian punk, like, all I did was read books about music and all I do is watch documentaries about music and all like, this is just like, I have to force myself to do other things because that's just like ultimately the only thing that I like truly care about. Like everything else is like kind of secondary. And so it just like happens, I think. And even still, like I, you know, I, whenever I talk to a guy like Damien, I'm like, I don't know fucking shit. Like, Oh yeah. He's, his stuff's intense. Like he's, he's just like such a like font of, of knowledge. It's incredible. And so, you know, compared to people like that, or like, honestly, compared to like Josiah, sometimes I'm just like, I don't know fucking shit, but like in the end, and that's probably because like, there's like a tiny hole in my brain where like basketball and baseball goes. And so yeah. <laughs> like he fills that all with like, you know, esoteric hardcore and 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 mine's filled with like takes on the DeMar DeRozan trade but in the end it's like yeah that's it it's just it's, it's the thing you're drawn to it's just like how you, you spend your time and, and the great thing is like it's also my job now so it's not like it's yeah. it, it sort of always has been my job and so it's not like I get home from my work in the fucking mines and then I'm like thinking about music like I get to make music documentaries for work like I get to 
like I'm constantly thinking about music and and working in that arena and I'm like again just tremendously fortunate and so that's it you just you just soak shit up yep, and I still I feel like I don't know shit but like you know you uh, yeah at some point something gets in there so you're also a YouTube I guess personality with your channel this exists like yes talk us talk us through that yeah so that was like, actually sort of post one of the things that I thought was like insanely fucking stupid about um, MTV was they were you know owned by Viacom which at the time was like in a huge fight with um, with Google and so none of our content was going up on YouTube and so having like worked at Exclaim and sort of been there when all of these platforms were sort of emerging it just seemed very stupid to me to be putting all this work into a show that like only would air on television and then would go on a website that like had an like this terrible old piece of shit video player and so I was just like this is not the this is the past and I, I kind of have no interest in it so that was what kind of ultimately led me away from MTV and so at the time the company I'd been working for previously you know was was investing heavily in digital video okay. and, and trying to put together like a big kind of YouTube strategy and so uh, I kind of I like went back to help basically like lead the the video strategy the digital video strategy um, like as it related to music at, at Blue Ant and so part of that was just like experimenting with different formats and figuring out sort of different things that we could do and, and, and we did like some I think like really great and insanely kind of stupid videos there and one of the things that we tried was this this series that eventually ended up on its own channel called This Exists that was just about kind of exploring like fringe music you know happenings um, and so that was originally launched as part of this kind of like uh, larger aux video strategy and then in the end like after maybe a year or so what we realized is like a YouTube channel is it's not a way for a medium sized media company to make money like a YouTube channel can make enough money to sustain like one person yeah. but it's not it's it, it makes no fucking sense for a big company to have like a YouTube channel yeah. <laughs> uh, or at least you know like be investing money and in. so they basically kind of quote unquote kind of canceled the show but you know God bless them and keep them because this never happens. I was able to just like buy the channel from them for a dollar. Well, you hear this all the time with people who like have YouTube channels that are owned by companies and they, they cancel it and they just take it because that, you know, in the end they're the ones that have sort of spent the money to like, in, in, you know, create it. And like, you know, the time I was getting paid, it was part of my salary. Like part of my job was doing this exist. Yeah. And, uh, which is again, like just insane. That's very, very lucky. And, um, yeah, so I bought it and just started, like, running it myself. So we started a Patreon to kind of, like, cover some of the costs of, like, editing it and uh, and, and just sort of started running it as my own thing. And then I eventually, like, I, I burnt out insanely hard. Who, who does the and, research for it? Uh, I do. Just you. So, it, it, yeah, so oh. it was just, like, I was trying to turn out. At, 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 there was a point where I got the job that I have now, and I was trying to produce two videos a week and also, like, you know, work um, – a job where I was, you know, probably at work, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. And I just like lost my fucking mind and, and sort of stopped making videos for a while. But I, I mean, probably there's a good chance. Like by the time this airs, like there'll be some new stuff up on the channel, cool. which I'm super excited about. I'm like, finally have the energy to sort of do it again. Yeah. Um, but that, that was like a whole fucking experience and a total trip. Yeah. It's, it's, it's mind, it's, it's just mind blowing. Like, you know, your numbers are huge and, um, it's just such a cool concept that like and it's it's yeah it's you know it's really well done there's a reason why people get like stoked about watching episodes of it thanks man yeah you know it was it's um it was a trip because like i think you know when i got 
the job at MTV, I, I think I really thought that that was um, that was sort of like it for me. Like I was like I've always wanted to kind of be this this person, yep. and now I am that person. And then you're like, oh no, I'm not. Like, and it's again, it's just like not what you thought it was it was gonna be. And like no one was no one was watching like no one was watching terrestrial tape like cable right, yeah. and then all of a sudden you know you have this opportunity to start doing something on YouTube and it's like it finds an audience and like that's like that's really cool and it's been one of the really cool things about like Blink One Fifty Five is sort of getting to have that experience again but also getting to kind of share it with someone because the thing about this exists is it was like just me like other people like there was times when like it had like a, like an amazing editor this guy Jim Pitts used to edit it and then uh, my friend Justin. Um, was helping like shoot it and edit it for a while and that but then eventually like in the end it's kind of like it, it, it feels in a lot of ways like it's just you yeah. and and so the the sort of like weird things that happen the like sort of like signs of success like feel sort of um, you know it's 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 more isolated whereas like the Blink of 55 thing has been great because it's like Josiah is embracing it on such a like hilarious and exciting level too and so it just like yeah. becomes a more more of a fun thing to kind of share whereas like YouTube is is more isolating I think yeah uh, that's yeah that's that's awesome that's fantastic so inevitably we, we always had to end up at this point yeah hell yeah podcast. yeah well, it's so funny to me that you keep saying blink 155 do you call them blink 182 um no I call them I'll, I'll call them either but my go-to is um, one eight two. Yeah. Okay. So that's because uh, every time you say blink one five five, I'm always like, it's so funny, it's so Australian. Yeah, yeah. It's I don't know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Like, and I'm like, I was watching a video on Blink recently um, from Recovery, where they got asked, like, what is it? And I'm like, oh, it's either. It's either. It doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at nothing. Nothing matters. So I mean, like. What's your take on it? Like, we heard Joe's eyes on his episode. What's your take on the pod? Like, how it started out, where it's, where it's, like, what's, what's happening with it now, and I guess the inevitable conclusion at episode 155. God, I can't, I can't wait. Um, you know, I, th- I think, like, it's been such a, like, really wonderful surprise. Like, you know, uh, I, I, I love podcasts and, and the thing, the thing about, like, YouTube is that, like, it's the, the demographics, like, I don't love YouTubers. Like, every time I try to, like, integrate myself into, like, a YouTube event, and, like, when I was, like, really trying to, like, do YouTube super actively, I was, like, going to stuff, and, like, yeah. you know, I went to VidCon in L.A. It was for work, but, like, I still was there, and I was, like, these aren't, like, my people. Like, it just doesn't, you're, like, I don't, like, don't get me wrong, like, I'm a huge narcissist, and I have all of the, like, personality disorders that, that all of those people have, but, like, it's just not... Like they're not my people, yeah. and I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And I'm like, these are my people, and the you know, like the the people who host and and love and share podcasts. It's like those are those are my nerds. Like that's like my. It, it always just felt like that was sort of much more of like speed and, and a thing that I wanted to be involved in. So I'd made like a literally like a New Year's resolution to um, like figure out podcasts. That was like the extent of it, and I like tried to do with the Success Podcast for a while, and it was like good, but kind of not sustainable um, just in terms of how, how I was doing it and, and it wasn't like that that good 
And then Josiah did an episode of This Exists and actually an episode of, of that podcast. Like, I, I interviewed him about the Canadian Juggalo weekend that he and Sarah had gone to. Fantastic. And it was, like, really, like, a funny conversation. And then he was, like, super funny on the, like, episode of Blink, or episode of This Exists that we did. And so, like, it was just, like, an idea that I'd had, and I, like, ran it by... Um, I ran it by Ashley, like, my wife, and she's just like, is this, like, a fucking stupid idea? And she was like, no, that's, like, actually pretty funny. And I think it's, like, a proven kind of formula for, like, some some other kind of, like, successful podcasts. And I was like, this is, I, I, like, a thing that I can imagine being down to talk about for three years. And so, like, you know, I messaged Josiah about it, and, and he was, you know, down, obviously. And then it just sort of, like, goes. And it's it's been such a trip because, like, we had goals, like... Then my, I had, like, a New Year's resolution this year to get to a certain number of downloads per month. Yep. And, like, we we beat that in, like, March. And we're, on, we're, we're, like, on a path to be, like, maybe this month. and that, But, like, I don't want... I'm jinxing it by saying yeah. it. Like, we might, in the month of July, like, double where I wanted to be by the end of the year wow. as just, like, a personal goal. Yeah. And so... You know, it's been it's been a trip, man. And like it's like people like you and people like Bill and like, you know, Rachel, the hair editor of the pod. And like there's all of these like kind of like very funny and interesting people that have kind of come into the orbit and like formed the quote unquote nation. And it's like such a delight. And honestly, a thing that I talk about like so much in real life, like with my friends, like, you know, I was out last night with uh, with with my wife and with, uh, you know, a couple of people that we've mentioned on the pod before. Uh, and like, we talked a bunch, like everyone was talking about the interview with Sam Sutherland uh, that's in sort of the most recent, uh, sometimes episode, yep. the, the other Sam Sutherland who's not me. And it's like, it's just been such a, like, it, it kind of feels like we're all getting to experience the, the sort of like stupidity of it at the same time. And it's like such a consistent delight. Like such a, you know, it's sometimes like it's hard to find the time. Like you know, I like oh, I can imagine. Joked about on the yeah, pod. I can imagine. We joked about it on the pod. Like you know, I'm I'm busy. Josiah's busy. Uh, you know, we have social lives and we have wives that we love. <laughs> and, yeah. and to find like two hours to talk about Blink every week sometimes is like really hard and can be like a pain in the ass. And it's like it's always worth it because it's it's um, the sort of like reception to it has just been such a fucking trip yeah it's it's like I can't imagine like I tried to do um, and it probably still will happen but a friend and I tried to do a podcast about talking about albums from mid 90s Epifat Epifat and I guess um, I guess probably Tim Twinkling into Burning Heart as well but just like talk about albums and all that kind of jazz and it was fun to do but it really takes the right chemistry and you guys like you guys aren't just look, you know, without blowing smoke up your ass, you're not just two schmucks who just had microphones. Like you are, you obviously are really well versed in, like in both literature because you've both written books, but just you know communication and and then to add to that, there's also that um, there's also that improv thing which I don't know. Obviously, it's not a, it mustn't be a big part of your life, but there's never a dull moment if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'm all about it. it. it 
Yeah, well, you know, like, and I'll be honest, like, because I, I assume, like, I, I like, look, there's no way he's going to listen into, like, hour three of this podcast. Like, <laughs> to me, so I, I can say this without, like, feeling weird about it. Um, you know, I think, like, it's always been clear to me, and, like, we, we've joked with this, like, Josiah and I were, like, acquaintances, were, like, friendly, but we didn't, like, know each other very well. And so yeah. I think, like, um, part of the pod that's been great is, like, it's almost like we're, we're sort of getting to know each other through this process of talking through these songs yeah. and we have similar enough experiences but like very different i think uh perspectives oh, you're definitely on like coming, punk. Yeah, you're definitely coming on it from two different angles and so i think like that's been a real treat but like mostly i just think like i've always thought that like josiah was um like just like a, a an insane talent like he's just like so fucking funny and so smart and like it's it's um and, and I, I always kind of feel like he doesn't get to showcase that enough because he writes about like film and he writes like, yeah. like he's, he's a, he's a good, he's really, he's a great writer and he's, he's a great editor. And so like through his day job though, like I don't think that people get, and he's like super funny on Twitter, but even on Twitter, it's not like he's like really like, you know, like a, 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 a famous Twitter person or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so my kind of, like, feeling around, like, Josiah has always been that, like, he's not as, like, <laughs> I don't know how to put this, he's not, like, as popular as he should be. Yeah. Like, I just think that he's, like, such a fucking funny dude, and he has a really unique perspective and a unique voice. And so, you know, when I, he came on and did the episode of This Exists about, like, 40 drinking culture on YouTube... I was just like, this dude's so fucking funny, and he's good. He's good. Like, he's not just like some people are good writers, but they're awkward as fuck. Yeah. Like, Josiah's like not awkward, and so like part of it, I think, has just been that like I am stoked that the podcast has kind of become a platform for like maximum Josiah. Yeah. Like him, him on the socials is like insane and so funny, and like I don't touch, I don't touch any of that shit, and like for for me the 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 sort of trick of the podcast is essentially that it's just like it's become a way to like have more people realize how fucking funny Josiah Hughes yeah, is okay and like and I think that that's great and, and to be honest it, it sort of reminds me a little bit of like and I've always thought of this and this actually maybe even ties in like I'm actually I'm gonna bring this all fucking home is like I remember like back when we were doing one of the first TV shows I ever did was uh, like for no money and it was shot out of my house. It was called Talk Show Night at Juicebox Manor and all my friends worked on it and this was like pre-MTV and so it was like we'd have bands playing in the basement so like the Thermals played in my basement, Joe Lally from Fugazi played in my basement, Wilhelm Scream played in my basement and then we'd like interview people in my living room like on the couch and we had uh, Chris Murphy from Sloan which is like an insanely sick like power pop band from Canada. Yeah. I don't know that you guys got them at all. Did you guys ever get Sloan no, in Australia? Like, like was it, yeah. Not on any significant way. I'm sure like someone, there'll be people out there saying they, they were on their radar, but like as a commercial success, even for an album, not at all. Yeah. So, so, so they're, they're, they're awesome and you'd probably dig them. And they, we had Chris Murphy on and you know, I don't even remember if he said it on the show or it was a conversation, but he sort of like articulated this idea that like some people are the lightning and some people are like the lightning rod. And I'm sure this is like a very popular idea, yeah. but I'd never heard it before. And he was like, I'm not the lightning, like, but I'm, I'm a really good lightning rod. And you know, this is a guy who's like written, you know, like some of the biggest, rock songs in like Canadian like radio history like truly that band is like huge in can or like they're they're not as big now they're like a kind of a, a legacy act 
but like when they were at their height, they were like massive. Yeah. You know, they still play like they have like arena rock songs. They play a Sloan song at every like Raptors game you go to. Okay. Like they're yeah, yeah. they're 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 a legitimate like, and and he wrote those. He's one of four songwriters in that band, but like. It's, he's not diminishing his own contributions, but he's just saying, like, he's not the, the lightning, and I, and I understand that. And so, like, you know, in junior battles, like, I feel like I'm a very... I think I'm, I'm a good songwriter. I think I'm, like, a good singer. I'm a bad guitar player. But, like, you know, I have something to offer. But in the end, like, even in junior battles, it's, like, Aaron Zorgel, who is the other guitar player and the other singer, is, like, a fucking like the most talented musician I've ever met in my entire life and like a brilliant songwriter and like an incredible guitar player. And so like in junior battles, it's like he is the lightning. And I kind of feel like that's, that's sort of what junior battles like very quickly turned into after like the first set of songs, which like I wrote kind of everything to just get us out of the gate. It becomes like a platform kind of where like what literally one of the most talented people that I know, like rips fucking, you know, rips shit in front of people and you're like this is great um and and I kind of feel that way about Blink 55 a little bit where it's like I kind of like legitimately feel like Josiah is the lightning in that scenario and so like I exist to try to like like that's that's this this thing that that we created together ultimately like is a way of sort of like getting his sort of like fucked up and I think kind of like worthwhile perspective out into the world and that's sort of like is actually like one of the reasons that I even picked the song that I picked for for like this sort of final section, yep. which is like a Jeff Rosenstock song, because like we toured with Bond the Music Industry, Jeff's old band, a bunch uh, in junior battles, and like Jeff was always like the lightning. Like it was like one of those things where you're like, there is a thing happening with this person that like we don't have. Like junior battles doesn't have what bomb has and what specifically kind of Jeff has and 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 that sort of like thing that you kind of can't quite articulate and then just like last night uh he was playing like a a quote I mean not a solo show but like as Jeff Rosenstock was playing in Toronto and it was like a sold out show at this venue the Opera House you know it was like a big venue that I've seen big bands play and here's this person that like we played like basement shows with who's headlining it and like has managed to bring all of what was good about that punk scene into that setting like literally like the show starts with him just being like hey like because they had an experience I think maybe a year ago where someone like groped someone in the crowd at his show and he was like I honestly can't even believe that anyone who listens to me would ever grope someone but like straight up if if you're thinking about if, if you're that person leave right now but also like if anyone fucks with you if anyone does anything to make you uncomfortable like touch the person beside you like we will stop the show this is like literally how he starts the show and I think it just like you know for again like a person of privilege to sort of be up there and just being like this is how the show is gonna go okay now let's have this like beautiful fucking party and they have you know their stage setup is like they have this massive flag that's like the American flag in pride colors with like 666 and then a ring of weed leaves around it in place of the stars And it's like that's the, you know, that's the 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 mode of that band. It's just like, uh, you know, just progressive and inclusive. And and as they scale up, bringing that with them. And like, I just have like such kind of tremendous admiration for it. And he's so he's the same way. Like he's he's one of those people. And so that's also why I picked this song. Originally, I had something else here, but I was like, no, it's fucking it's Jeff Rosen. Jeff Rosenstock sort of I think manages to articulate all that. Yeah. 
It just uh, brings it all together. So that's the song I wanted to pick. Yeah. So, like I said, bringing it all home, man. But also, I think what you've kind of hinted towards that is it's basically always Josiah season. It is, yeah. Like, it is like that's that's the trick of the pot yeah. is that it's like 155 weeks of Josiah season, yeah. and maybe like maybe we'll like make that reveal to him in episode 155. 155. Yeah, like there's there's always a hint of scar season or yeah, joke that's always season. lurking. Yeah. But the main season is Josiah season. Exactly, that's it. Yeah. Like uh, it, it is high key Josiah season at all times. Mate, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, dude, this has been such a like engaging conversation. It's so funny, like I keep going back and peeing, and like, my, like Ashley's like, "Are you still doing that podcast?" I was like, "I'm having the best yeah, time." Yeah. I mean, I'm just like, it's incredibly egotistical. I literally just talked about myself for like three fucking hours, and so like I feel like a little gross, but uh, you know, it was fun. So, I <laughs> so what was the song again? I, I really appreciate it. Right, so the song is uh, Jeff Rosenstock, USA. Yeah, this is the tune. Just like when he played this last night, I was just like, everything that we believed in our 20s, was like, it kind of could still be true, you know? And, like, that's, I don't know. I'm, it's, it's so easy to be cynical all the time, but I was like, this is good, and it's real, and it's, like, it's happening at a scale that I didn't imagine it could happen at, and I like that. Dubs out to down, trodden and dejected Crest falling, grief stricken and exhausted Trapped in my room while the house was burning to the motherfucking ground Service station.
Thanks for checking it out. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I guess it was rather, it was rather hefty episode, um, but you know, that's the shit. Um, sending my love out to the Warren crew. 
who got, who've had some pretty shitty news over the last couple of weeks that I found out about uh, the night before I've recorded this. Um, if you listen this far, you know I love you all. And um, I'm thinking about you. Um, yeah. Stay safe, stay beautiful. Thanks to Nicole and Cody for letting me do this. Um, again, I got up at th- I got up at two thirty in the morning on a Monday morning to um, record this episode. Started at three thirty, ended at about quarter to seven when I when I hit stop on the recording, um, which is fucking crazy, but it is what it is, and I loved every second of it. Uh, yeah. If you, again, if you like what you hear and you think it's worth a dollar, paypal.me slash myagepodcast. Send me a dollar or don't. It's all good. You're a fantastic human anyhow and I appreciate you listening. And tell people about it. You know, share it. Grab someone's phone. Um, hit subscribe on their phone. Um, yeah, get involved. Cool. Love your work. Take it easy. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Discreet, but there were so many people you just had to meet without your clothes. And everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. That's how it
how it goes.